Well, we normally reserve RIPs for the end of the show. Yes. But I think we've got to get something out of the way and talk <laughs> about it. I want to know how the Sodens are doing. I know that you had... Uh, you had Don, we talked about this. Did we talk about this on the air or off the air? It was off the air because as I was pulling into your house last time, the, yeah. the vet called me to make the appointment. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Dante Soden. That's right. Was how old? We think probably around 16. We had him 15 years and he was probably one when we got him. Oh. So around 16 years old. Yeah. Friday. It happened Friday. Piper was at a sleepover, so she wasn't home for it, thank goodness. But and she knew it was happening. She knew it was happening, and it was kind of bumming her out while she was there. She wanted to kind of know how it was going, and I don't know if it was the right move or not, but it's, it's not fun to see anything die, especially a friend of 16 years. So, yeah, it was rough. And I know I'm not the first person to go through it. Every, a no, lot of people have gone through we it. We did it four, five, six yeah. months ago. What is it, eight months ago, six months ago? So people can relate. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, our kitchen had a leak. I lost my job, and now my dog died. If my wife leaves me, I'm going to have a... Goddamn country song. I'm going to have a hit. I mean, God, I'm a, I'm a walking country song right now. Jesus. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it's oh. tough. And people Did you go to the doctor's office and do it? Did they come to your house? How's your wife too? And how's Piper since she's come back from the sleepover? Give us the details. So we had a vet come to the house because he always hated the vet. And my wife didn't want to take him into the office. And you can only allow one person at a time. And I wanted to be there too. So we paid a little extra to have him come to the house. They'll do it. He wouldn't come inside, but he did it uh, on the back porch just laying on his bed. And, you know, my wife, that, that was her guy. She picked him up from the Humane oh, Society. God. So they had a bond that he and I didn't have. Like, wow. every, she'd go to the shower. He'd just lay by the door. She'd go to the restroom. He'd poke his head, you know. Really? He wouldn't leave her side. So really? she was just huddled over him, just shaking and crying. And, you know, it's, it, it's rough. It's really rough. It really and, is. Yeah. But you, you, know, weren't, you guys were not questioning whether it was the right. Like, when we did it, we were asking ourselves all those questions that are horrible. You know, is it the right time? Did we do enough? Could we have made any kind of other decision to extended to extend her life, Sadie's yeah. life, any longer? You know, you start you're flush with those questions. At least I was, but but you were at a point where there was no question about it. Right? No, we, no, we always, you second guess yourself every time, right? I mean, who who are we? Maybe he doesn't want to go. I mean, I, who knows, really, right? Mm -hmm. We're making the decision to end yeah. his life. But you always second guess yourself. But yeah. I think his name is David Frey. He works for the Westminster Kennel Club or whatever. Yeah. He, he he said that you make every decision for your dog's life, every one of them, and unfortunately, you have one final one to make. And he's right. It, when I hate that part of it that we have to make the decision. It's awful. I, I actually. Googled. I wish. I wish that that part of it didn't exist. <laughs> oh, of course. That the the animal would live its life, pass away on its own terms, yeah. and you would never have to make any kind of decision. It'd be nice. Dogs don't do that. I, I looked it up because they just don't die What's in their the sleep. What's the percentage? I don't think it's much. I think it's like 10% maybe die in their sleep. But yeah. they're such fighters and they're so loyal. And they just, you know, they, they're just tough animals. And they don't want to go. And they fight it and fight oh, it. But God. he couldn't stand. And he's peeing in his bed. And at some point, you got to give him dignity. And it doesn't make it any, any easier, though. And so she came home from the sleepover. She yeah. was probably sad when she came home. She was really bummed. And I, I told her that my wife already threw the, dish, the dog dishes away and took the bed. She just. Oh, God. And Piper's like, no, 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 not yet. She kind of wanted to hang on a little more. But uh, now I'm getting the heat for a new one. Now it's turning. Right away? Uh, yes. Like the next day? The next day. I'm getting the heat from, for, bo from both? From Piper mostly. Yeah. I mean, my wife. I would think that your wife would need a little bit yeah, of mourning period. She does, yeah. But Piper's just like. That. Let's go. She's ready for that rebound dog. Ready. Which makes me scared for when she starts no, no, dating. No. <laughs> She's going to go right from guy to guy. No. <laughs> this guy broke you my can't heart. say this on a, on a podcast. <laughs> Where's the next guy? That'll I'm help me get over I'm changing the it. name. It's not Scott Unfiltered. Stop. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so God. I'm sure we'll be back in the game Tough in a few weekend. months. 
Yeah, it's really tough weekend. And I think it was tougher. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But when I I did it with my bulldog in 2014, but we still had another dog. I mean, it hurt, of course. But to go from a dog to just nothing, I haven't been without a dog since 2002. Because you had these two together. I had my bulldog. There was an overlap. Yeah, there was an overlap. Yeah. Yeah. So there's maybe like a six or seven year overlap where we had two. Would you, if you ever did this, like you told me the other day, you're done. I would like to be. You done. walked into this house yeah. three days ago and said it's it's time. Friday's going to be the day, and this is it. I'm done. I, I want to be able to go away yep. and not worry about a dog. I'm done. Yep. Three days later, you're here saying I'm getting heat. I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't live alone. If I lived alone, I'd get the uh, carpets cleaned. I can't wait for that because he had accidents. Well, we're we're. We're stepping into the waters. Really? We've, we've, we've dipped our foot into the waters. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I could go either way. I kind of decided a long time ago after Sadie, and we had a Doberman Pinscher that I grew up with that I'll never forget June 19th, 1985, yeah. when she passed away. And those days are really hard. And I'm at the point where you kind of, you kind of articulated it the other day, which is as much as I miss having that companion – the nice things about not having to worry about going out and going away and Ugh. where they're going to stay and Always. who's going to sit and where you're going to, yeah. are you going to take them? You know, there's just, there's just so much, there's so much responsibility that I was at a point where I thought I'll let the rest of the family decide. I can go either way. I can be pushed on either side. Yeah. And originally my, my wife was not there. She, she just missed Sadie so much. She didn't want to go and replace Sadie. Yeah. And now um, we're getting to the point where, our younger, our, our older son doesn't care and he's going away. Yeah. He, he's going away to college. Uh, the younger son, Mrs. Sadie, so says over and over again, you know, I don't remember her when she was young. She was older than me. Yeah. And I, I, wish I, I wish I had memories of being with her when she was young and I was young and I don't really understand that. And so he kind of wants to, to jump out there and get a new dog. And I think that my wife is getting to that point. So I think we're going down that road. Now, it, towards- I think that road is coming. Yeah. Well, and then the question I was going to ask you is the whole idea when Sadie got sick, and I know that a lot of people out there had two dogs, but when Sadie got sick, Sharon kept on saying over and over again, God, I wish she had a companion right now mm. in her older days. I wish she had another dog. Yeah. Another dog would have been so healthier. And, and before she really declined, like a year or a year and a half before Sadie really declined, we were talking about Sharon was really pushing. Let's go get a young dog because, but Sadie didn't get along with a lot of other dogs. Yeah, she liked to have her her place. Well, especially if so she's now the only we're one in the house. She's territorial. We're wondering aloud when we go if we go do this again, should we get two? Oh, gotcha. Instead of one. Wow, you're going from zero to two. Look at you, <laughs> right back in the mix. Yeah. I'm not the one asking that question. <laughs> Others are asking that question within the household. Should should dogs when you go out have a friend? Eat, you know, you go you go look at saving a dog. You go look at uh, all the dogs, yeah. and a lot of them have siblings. You know, there's there's eight or ten sure, of them. Yeah. Take two, take three. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so, do you do you adopt a dog and his or her brother or sister, or how do you do that? Yeah, if there is a sibling, yeah, you might want to think about it because you don't want to split them up. Well, there's like ten in this last case that we looked at. Oh, and like ten. We're in not the litter. taking ten. <laughs> 
We're not taking ten of them. That's why I'm like afraid to go to the Humane <laughs> Society. We're gonna come home with fifty. We're gonna come home with all of them. I mean, my wife and my my daughter love oh, dogs, God. but everybody was very nice on Twitter. I put a little video up. Uh, a little I know nine, you did. I know you. Piper did. made that. I didn't even know she made it. And I found Great. it on my wife's phone. It was really Great. sweet. Was so sweet. everyone was very nice. I know I'm not the Sorry. only one to go through it. So Sorry. thank you, everyone. I know, but it's just one of those things. Yeah, it's it's, it's one rough. Of those things. But if they were any less cool, though, this that it wouldn't be worth it, right? I mean, but the, every day of their lives is great, except for that one day. It's just makes it worth it, though. They're, uh, they're great animals. Mitch Unfiltered episode 105 is about to begin. Subscribe, listen, and give us a rating or review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. I don't think you can do it on Spotify, Google Podcasts. I mean, you can you can go and and subscribe. I don't think you can leave a review. I don't know if you can or can't. Okay. I know all the reviews on these on these podcast platforms seem to be from Apple Podcasts. In fact, I went to see what the last review was, oh and boy. it came in on July 21st, 2020. Okay. So it's been more than a month since anybody that listens on Apple left us a review, left us a five-star, four-star, whatever rating. Well, right? is everyone on summer vacation? What's going on around here? I don't know. They're Come just on. not leaving reviews. <laughs> and this is what he or she wrote. It's Chris Luke. On July 21st, 2020, Mitch is back. This is a great, easy listening podcast about sports and so much more. A staple of the Seattle radio airwaves. It's great that Mitch and Scott have found a home on podcasts. This is always a great show with many voices represented. Fun, lively, and entertaining. Topics outside of sports are well covered and presented in easy to digest increments. Listen exclamation mark that's the last review wow. that we got on july 21st 2020 and i started feeling like oh my god i'm back <laughs> yeah i'm back and then i went to my email oh no oh god and this was waiting for me oh. precisely at the same time as i read that it was like somebody above was like okay he just read the July 21st one from right. Chris Luke. Let's send him, let's make sure that we balance it out. He's had it too good for too long. Hey, Mitch, this exact, literally minutes after <laughs> yeah. I, I, I read the, uh, the Apple one. Hey, Mitch, exactly how much longer do we have to hear about Ellen DeGeneres and Antonio Brown? Also, just out of curiosity, does Hotshot Scott think his end of show stories and punchlines are funny, or does he do it just to be annoying? <laughs> That's a fair to, question. <laughs> to think I was actually considering becoming a patron at oh. one point, Frank in Tucson, Arizona. In Tucson? Yes. So I well, just Before people think I got all high and mighty <laughs> on the Chris Luke yeah. Apple podcast review, bam, Frank in Tucson, Arizona was waiting for me in my email box. Almost as if Frank knew that I had read the other one. Yeah, yeah. Now let's tell him the real truth That's right. behind his show. Yeah, let's yeah. Hum humble him a little bit. <laughs> the answer to the question is, is that I, I don't think it's hilarious. I think it's funny that you don't really think it's funny. I, I think it's funny that it's hokey, my, my jokes. That's the part I love about oh, it. Oh, we're talking about that now? Yeah, I, th I don't know. Do I think it's hilarious? Am I going to go on do a stand-up set with it? No, but I think it's fun. Do you think it's annoying? You annoy Frank in Tucson every single time you do it. All right, well, then I'm out. Well, Frank, no, well, Frank makes the rules, but, but here's I'm the, out. Here's the thing about, and, and look, I like complaints about the podcast. In fact, I'm actually more comfortable. I don't know if you can read me on this. <laughs> I'm actually more comfortable reading the complaints than I am the one from Chris Luke. Gotcha, yeah, okay? yeah. It's more fun, it's whatever. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe people are just pulling on my chain or whatever just to, but... I, I can't get over the fact that in a podcast, if you don't like what Scott does at the end of every single show, <laughs> you don't have to listen to it. That's true. 
Yeah. At what point does somebody get a hold of that? Yeah. Get their arms. At what point does Frank say, okay, it sounds like Scott's getting ready to do his stupid thing, his annoying thing again. I'm going to turn it off or skip to the end where Rocky's playing and then they ring the bell. Right. I'm not going to listen to this. But Frank in Tucson, I think, listens to it every single time. Well, what percentage of the show is the stupid thing I do at the end? 0.09% 0.09% of the show? Oh, it's a big part of the show. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's at least 52%. If, if he likes most of it, that, uh, then I think we're doing okay. Become a patron <laughs> at $5 a month. The latest two, David Couch and Ben Smith, the newest two patrons that signed up uh, by going to MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking on the Become a Patron link. You can do so for $5 a month. And we have all kinds of bonus content, including a full show on Thursdays. We call it the P-Shows. We do full P-Shows on Thursdays. Wasn't right? there a quarterback couch who was supposed to be amazing? Chris, Tim. Tim. No, Chris is the golfer. Was it Tim? And Tim, yeah, Kentucky. Kentucky, Like yeah. first overall pick of the Browns? Yeah, he was like supposed to be a, a Browns, by the way. How about that? How about well, their draft history? No, he ended, I, th- I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he was I great. Remember, there was so much hype about this guy. I remember thinking, Kentucky, really? But there was another guy from Kentucky, and I shouldn't joke around because I think he's dead. Oh, okay. With the big the big guy from – the big left-handed quarterback from Kentucky. Do you remember him? No. Jared, like, Lorenzen or Lorenzen or something. Oh, yeah. I don't remember him. Uh, no, there was no – Football, there was no quarterback in the history of college or pro football that looked less like a quarterback than the guy that I'm referring to. And I I think he just passed away like in the last six months, so I don't want to get too silly on this. But people know who I'm talking about. There was a left – I think he was left-handed. He looked like a linebacker or a nose tackle. He's pudgy, heavy. I'm looking. Jared, like Lorenzen or Lorenzen from the University of Kentucky. Anyway, I don't even know what made me think of him. Tim Couch? Yeah, because you don't hear a lot of couches, but I remember no, Tim Couch. No, I remember Jamar. Oh, Jared Lorenzen. I think he had like a. Did he go like to the World League or uh, arena? Maybe, I, I think know. he had like a, an arena league career. I don't know. Yes, he did pass away in 2019. How tall? How much? How much did he weigh? Six four, three fifteen. Sorry. As a quarterback, how many six four three fifteen quarterbacks with a big gut, a beer, a big uh, beer belly? Did you ever? If see? I was that coach, I would have ran the option with him just to watch him plow people. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> Guests on this episode one hundred and five: Jason Lock and Fora return. CBS NFL Insider uh, Earl Thomas. Yay, nay. Oh my God! Uh, why does the Big Twelve, SEC, and ACC think it's fine to play football, while the Pac-12 and Big Ten don't think it's fine to play football? Gene Taylor, the Kansas State athletic director, he's been on before. He's going to tell us oh, yeah. why they they are in the the Big Twelve very excited about playing fall football. And a woman by the name of Ann Wiley, she's a Yale University scientist and part of a team. I don't know if you've been following this that invented something called Saliva Direct. Have you seen any articles about Saliva Direct? No. A couple of two, three scientists at Yale University. No shocker there. Your safety school, right? right. Yeah, yes. My my backup, yeah. Your backup, Mm -hmm. just in case you didn't get into Eastgate State University. that's right. Uh, Saliva, they they developed a new way of testing for COVID using the saliva in your mouth. And I don't mean the... Yeah, yeah. I don't mean that saliva. That's not saliva, but I'm talking about... Like just the ordinary pool of saliva, not to get too graphic. I guess I already did. Wait till the end of the show. Graphic. Go ahead. (laughs) Frank in Tucson, you can turn it off now. That's right. (laughs) Hey, Frank. Right now, Frank is like, yes, I got on. That's right. Um, Anyway, a couple of scientists in in, at Yale University, including Ann Wiley. She's from New Zealand. Got a great accent. Oh, great. 
uh, they developed this test for COVID with a simple saliva test right from your mouth. It's cheap. It's like $10. Oh, great. It's just as accurate as the swab in the deep nasal passages. I right? swear to you, I could not do that test. Yes, I, you could. I don't think I you could, could do it. You could and you will. Okay, fine. I'm on my way. <laughs> Brett is asked, has Hotshot been tested lately? Um, not for that. Uh, okay, very good. <laughs> anyway, it's a simple, inexpensive, and comfortable test yeah. and quick results. They're saying that the saliva test, like the one at Yale, is going to make it there's going to be a lot more tests available. It's going to it's going to expedite test results and everything. And Good it might news. be the key until we get to a vaccine to getting out of the house and getting kids to school. Maybe uh, I, I, you're not going to be able to do it at home, but almost almost being able to do it at home. Love it. So and Wiley will be guest number three on episode 105. All right. Ready. Before we begin with episode 105, just a couple of words about our great partners and sponsors like Zeke's Pizza. All 17 locations now open. Extra safe precautions dining in or pizza and growlers straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. The Zeke's ordering experience to the Levy household has always been a bit stressful. Kids want mushrooms. Dad doesn't. And dad doesn't even want half of the pie with mushrooms that neighbors anything that he'll be eating A rhubarb ensues, and the kids always win. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, Leshai Open, offering a $40 bottle of Veuve Clicquot Champagne, regularly $145. South Lake Union in Bellevue also open, expanding their outside dining options, which is awesome. It's time to catch up on those celebrations, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers will be heard right here on episode 105 with incredible stories of low interest rates and all the refinancing, borrowing, and buying that's going on right now in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. The unquestionable silver lining in this pandemic. Call 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. The stock market continues to push ahead. Tyler Hay will be here on episode 105. Hope he's right about the Minnesota Timberwolves sale and potential struggle getting a new arena built in this climate. Could they be Seattle bound? By the way, this is exactly the time you need to trust pros like Evergreen Golf Call to help make the right decisions, which will be felt by your family for years to come. Start with evergreengk.com and sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. This is episode 105, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Should he have swung at a 3-0 pitch? Maybe, maybe not. Here's an idea. Here's a memo. Hand it to the pitcher. How about throwing a better pitch? Just throw a better pitch. Is it more embarrassing that the kid hits a grand slam against you? Or would it be more embarrassing that they're like not trying? They're like going on one knee. They're not trying. They're they're just letting you off the hook. Unfiltered. What if I told you that Cam Chancellor was a 10 how hard he hits, Mm -hmm. right? And and Earl Thomas was a four, how hard he hits. Yeah. Okay. Right. And Earl Thomas was a 10, how much space he covers. And Cam Chancellor was a four on how much space he covers. And what if I told you that Jamal Adams was an eight in both? That's right. Yeah. He then becomes a better and more complete player than either one of them. Mitch is unfiltered. All right. 
right. Episode Dante Soden. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Episode Dante Soden is underway. Episode 105. He's wearing a Star Wars shirt today, a brown Star Wars shirt. Well, it wasn't brown before I came over. (laughs) I had ribs earlier. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, I don't think you'll find too many Star Wars shirts in my my closet. No, you definitely won't. You might find a Rocky. Oh, yeah. I mean, you love that's an old movie. Well, I guess Star Wars is too, actually. I would think about it. I would think so. I would think so. By the way, I did something today I haven't done in 10 years. Are you you a wakeboarder? You ever get behind a boat and get towed on it? You ever do any of that stuff? I went wakeboarding today. Well, you mean in the water? You mean in the in the water? What are we talking about? No, in a bowling alley. Da, 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 yes, of course. Of course. I just t- didn't we just talk about this last week? I was out in Lake Washington on a on a on tube. A, yeah. Yeah. But, oh, what, what's wakeboard? Where you put your feet in and you kind of like looks like a big skateboard. You know, you just kind of get pulled around. I did that. For oh, the first time. I've seen people do like surfing, like being pulled on a surfboard. Correct. Similar. Yes, to a little that, smaller. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, I've never done that. All I, can- I skied as a kid. Okay, then you can water probably do skied it. as a. Oh, it's been like forty years since I water skied. Well, yeah, it's been ten. Water for me. skied as a kid. Yeah, and you that could probably great. do this. All I great. could think about the whole time was Chris Fallows talking about bull oh. sharks as I'm sitting oh, in the water. So you're, okay, <laughs> oh you're, you're referring to the guy from South Africa that we had on 104P that you yeah. you booked. You said, Mitch, we got to do something on sharks, shark week, great white sharks. And then you booked a guy from South Africa. Now our patrons know about this, but you booked a guy from South Africa. Yep. It cost me like 25 bucks to interview him on <laughs> Skype. <laughs> Hope it was worth it. And he had the South African accent, and he's a photographer, and he swims with the sharkies, yeah. swims with the fishies. <laughs> right. And uh, I thought, it, I, I just, you now, uh, you have not, you, you didn't send me a text to tell me how you enjoyed it, so you're going to tell me now. Oh, I loved it. I thought he was great. He, he was funny, but, yes. he, but sitting in that lake, as I'm waiting for the boat to pull me out, I'm like, can we get this going a little bit here? Even <laughs> lake Washington? Lake Sammamish. There's no lake sharks Samamish. in there, but it still scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Chris would say, well, there's probably not much you can do. You might be on the menu that day. I don't want to be on the menu. <laughs> I love all of these guys like Chris Fallows in South Africa and other people that we've talked about with bears and we've had other people on bees and everybody. Yeah. I love all these people say the same thing to you, which is, hey, if a grizzly attacks, stand there. Stand your ground. Don't run away. The worst thing you could do is run away. Right. Now, get big. Make yourself big. Okay. There's a word called pragmatic. Have yeah. you ever heard the word pragmatic? Yes, I've heard of it. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't seem very pragmatic to stand there when a gri- when a 600 pound grizzly bear is is chasing you to stay. I don't think. No. I don't think it's as easier. I think it's a lot easier said than done. This guy Chris Fallow says, "Yeah, if you're in the water and a shark and a hungry shark is the worst you can do is swim away. Just stay there. Right. Yeah. Hold your ground. Okay. Yeah." I'll be sure to get on that. He says sometimes they just want to get a look at you, kind of see what's going on. They don't always want to bite you. Oh, my God. But if, if they do decide they want you, you're going to be on the menu. I mean, there's just no way around it. He's, God, thank you, Chris. Oh, man. It was amazing. What an amazing career in life this guy's yeah. had. Talking about yeah. that that crappy cage they made when they were in their 20s. The, yeah. guy, the shark just burst right through it. Yeah. Oh, man. 104P, if you haven't That's listened great. to it, uh, Chris Fallows live from South Well, not live. It was recorded. Yes. From South Africa. Yes. Yeah. He's great. Go check and out his And trying work. to connect with him on Skype was quite the experience. I, I told you I gave that interview a 30% chance of just coming together. Him getting back to me, the time change. Cell phone the, from oh, South God. Africa to Bellevue, Washington on Skype. Yeah, no chance. Just, I mean, getting the country codes right. <laughs> I know. It's always I mean, something. Country I mean, codes. the whole thing had very little chance. Yeah. And then once it started, it, sound, it felt to me like he was in... 
He was in Tacoma. Yeah, he sounded great. Sounded yeah. great. Joel McHale can figure it out from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> this guy nails it from South Africa. Don't <laughs> but, remind me about Joel McHale. But it was awesome. It was really good. All right, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about Earl Thomas, and we will in in segment number one because he's the big story. Wow. Nationally, in the last forty eight hours, his career with the Baltimore Ravens is over. Can I just begin with probably something you would say to me? belongs in the other stuff segment after our three interviews. Okay. But I just I just want to get it off my chest. All right. I, I, it's, it's a totally sports geeky, random thing that I want to mention. Get it off my chest and then move on to Earl Thomas. I'm ready. I don't know whether you're watching the NBA playoffs. It seems to me that you're following it but not watching it. Yeah, more like that. I'm kind of watching it because my sons, especially Max, he loves to watch it, and it's nice to watch with him. Sure. And, of course, I'm a huge Clippers fan. I love the Clippers. Oh, Luca. Yes, that's where I'm going. Okay. That's my random observation. Do we all realize how good this guy is? <laughs> I thought we were going Earl Thomas. No, no. no. Okay. I said that. This is my ran- – I want to do a random gotcha. other stuff thing and just get it off my plate. Sure. I want to check it off the list. Nobody gives a shit about Luka Doncic in our – in our audience, probably. But I just want to say this. And I know it comes about an hour after I just watched a game with the Clippers game four where he hit like a 30-footer, 35-footer, fading away, stepping back at the buzzer to win. The guy goes for 43 points, 17 rebounds, and 13 assists. And it's like every single day at the office. You realize this guy is 21 years old. He averaged this year over 60 games. I didn't even play the full season. He averaged 29 points at 21 years old. 29 points, nine and a half rebounds, and nine assists. He had 19 triple doubles in 60 games. Think about that for a second. I didn't want you to think about that. He had 19 triple doubles in about 60 games. So every third game. Yeah, I did the math. Eastgate State. (laughs) That's right. Yale, Yale University, (laughs) Uh and Wiley. My, my son, Max, I said to him just before we started to record, who, who's the all-time leading triple-double guy in history? And he looked it up, and it's Oscar Robertson, which is not a, yeah. not a huge surprise. He had like 180. Okay. Okay. This guy's got 30 <laughs> at age 21. Jeez. He's 21 years old. And furthermore, and I know I'm going way too long about Luka Doncic. We can come back to Earl Thomas. Oh, he's impressive. He is. He is more than impressed. First of all, he's not fat. I mean, you watch Russell Westbrook get triple doubles. The guy that we all hate that's on the he's on the Rockets now, but yeah, when, yeah. he had he averaged a triple double I think a couple of years ago, maybe last year, averaged a triple double. You watch him and you see superior athleticism. Right. You see the fastest, quickest guy with the ball on the floor. He's lightning. He can he can jump out of the building. I mean, yeah. he's got it all. You understand. You get it. Makes right? sense, yeah. You watch this guy. <laughs> I hate to say it, yeah. but he's less athletic than Larry Bird. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he does nothing quick. Well, I guess he's kind of quick, but he does nothing fast. Everything is very rhythmic and... I, He's 21 years old. He doesn't blow by anybody. He can't really jump. Yeah. And yet he's du- he's always the best. I've seen him play in the la- he's his second year. I probably have seen him portions of games, not highlights, but portions of probably 20, 25, 20 games over the last two years. He is always the best player on the floor. I mean, I'm watching with Kawhi Leonard and uh, – uh, Paul George, overrated, Paul George (laughs) and everybody else. And this guy, game in and game out at 21 years old, is the best player on the floor. And it's not even close. 
And so I say to myself, self, <laughs> he's 21. He's going to play fi- 20 more years? Yeah, right. At least 15. Yeah. He's going to be averaging a triple-double once every three games and maybe over the course of the season for 20 years? When it's all said and done, how is he not even better than LeBron James? I mean, how is he, unless right. something's going to happen to derail his career or he's going to suffer some Earl Thomas thing where he has trouble <laughs> off the court, and we'll talk about that. It's like, how is this guy not destined to be literally like – Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Will Chamberlain, Luka Doncic. I mean, how, how is he not? He might be there. I, how, I, how, how, how can he blow it? He can't blow it. It's point, impossible. Is, it, is he sort of like Dirk Nowitzki? Would you compare his game to Dirk no, Nowitzki? No, Dirk Nowitzki didn't bring the ball up. This guy brings the ball up. He's the quarterback. He makes everybody better around him. Gosh. He, he, I'm telling you. Larry Bird was trending today for that reason. Okay, People compared they're, to Larry. They're, they're, I, I don't know how to do this on a podcast. And probably... 99 out of the 100 people that are listening to this podcast right now didn't see the game, and I don't even know how to do this. I'm just telling you, when you watch him pass the ball, okay. when you watch him find open men that you swear he can't see, he just knows, yeah. and then he makes passes and hits guys right where they need to be hit for the open sh- to start the jump shot. He made one pass that... You know, was it the most extraordinary-looking, fancy-schmancy pass you'd ever seen? No. But he drove once on Sunday. He went, he went all the way to the basket. Instead of, instead, of, instead of laying it up, he kept on going, and then with a left hand, without seeing it, he tossed it all the way back out to a three-point shooter and hit him right here for a three-point. He is um, – this, this kid is amazing. Yeah. He is amazing. He's like nothing that's come along, and he's a throwback guy. You won't even see him dunk the ball. He's just a total, t- t- total non-athletic looking guy. I, I, I'm done. Well, last winter, I'm finished. I'm finished. Well, just real quick, last winter, I'm talking to my daughters. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a text or an email from <laughs> Frank in Phoenix that yeah. says, "How much longer do we have to hear about Luka Doncic?" I'm just telling you, the yeah. guy's amazing. My daughter's coach last winter. I said, "Who's, who's the new up and coming guy?" See, this guy knows basketball. He's been coaching. Right. He right. Co- Zach Levine. Everyone. Right. He's coached. Right. He just said one word. He goes, "Luka." He knows basketball. He goes, "You got to watch this guy, Luka." He told amazing. me that like five months ago. And by the way, just to add insult to injury, or in this case, injury to insult, he had 43 points the day that I'm talking about. 17 rebounds, 13 assists, the step back three at the buzzer to win in overtime. Yeah. And he was not supposed to play in the game. He's got a sprained ankle. Is that right? Yeah. That's what he does on yeah. a sprained ankle. Just to, just, to throw, just to throw a little extra salt onto the wood. All right, I'm done. He's amazing. All right, that's it. 105, we're done. Let's get out of here. Episode Luca is in the book. <laughs> what happened to Dante? Earl, <laughs> Poor Dante got no, Wally Pipped. never be forgotten. <laughs> Thank you. Earl Thomas. Yes. What has happened? The downfall, the spiraling downfall of Earl Th- When did it start? I think when guys start slowing down on the field a bit and they're not quite as good as they used to be. I think they maybe see their own blood. They I, see their own mortality. I think so. And the irritation level starts to ramp up a bit. Because and you think that's what happened? With I him? think that maybe started. Do you, he was a Twitter meme during the playoffs. Do you remember him trying to tackle Derrick Henry? Yeah, he was getting shoved around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, all the way down the field. Yeah. I felt badly because I love her. I mean, I've, as a Seahawks fan, I've always loved Earl Thomas. I felt yeah. bad that he was. He's now a meme. He went from the best safety in football. Now when, he's a meme. When did it start? I have a I have a theory on when it started. Okay. When was the first time people started to get salty with Earl Thomas in this town? And by the way, for the people in Tucson, we're in the Pacific Northwest. That's right. Yeah. 
When did people first, do you remember the very first time that people started to get salty with Earl Thomas? Fans. Not necessarily. Is it possible that it was when he went into the Dallas Cowboys locker room Uh, area and was telling the coach, come get me? Do you remember that? There was a lot of Dallas talk when he was a Seahawk, yeah. He he was telling him, you know, come get me. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was at the end of the Seahawks season, maybe a playoff game, a playoff loss, and he was following like like Garrett into the into the locker. Hey coach, come get me like I'm ready, I'm ready to leave That's Seattle. Right. Yeah. I don't know that there was anything before that that set us off. Maybe there was. Maybe somebody in our audience would say, good good one, Mitch, but there was actually this happened a little bit before that. Ever since that moment, injuries, fingers, kind of holdouts, kind of I'm not talking to my coach anymore. I hate them and this and that, the other thing. Then he goes to another – then there was a second, right? There was two season-ending injuries. So there's the first season-ending injury where it was here and there was a guy coming over the middle and he collided with his Cam leg. Chancellor and his leg oh, broken half. Do you remember yeah. that? Oh, boy, do I. And, and and he fought himself all the way back and he wanted a contract extension and they wouldn't give him a That's contract right. extension. And then he went to like Phoenix and another game and broke his leg again. Maybe it was a different one. Maybe, I don't remember. And he was on the he was on the the, um, the cart, the cart the, yeah. giving the finger to the, <laughs> to the Seahawks sideline. I remember. That was the last time we ever saw... Earl Thomas in a Seahawks uniform, yep, right? Yep. And then who's going to sign him? Who's going to sign him? Obviously, he's going to become a free agent. The Ravens give him all this money. And then the thing with his wife, the unfortunate oh. thing with his wife. Where yeah. he's, and his where brother. She, she, yeah, his brother and some girls. And yep. she holds a loaded gun that she didn't realize was loaded to his head, That's right. right? Yep. And then... Then this, and what we didn't know, and I don't want to give too much of the Jason Locke and Flora interview away because that'll be the next segment here. He's going to tell you something that either maybe everybody else knew and I just wasn't paying attention. He's going to tell you it's been bad since the day he signed in Baltimore. That he missed meetings, he was late to meetings, he was aloof, he got into it with his teammates, people didn't like him in the building, he was like all about Earl, and, and and then this week he gets in a fight with a fist fight with like the most popular player on the entire Baltimore Ravens team. He gets in a fist fight with him on the sidelines. Something Clark. Yep, Chuck. Chuck Clark. Chuck yeah. Clark, who apparently came from nothing okay. and made himself and he's like the the guy, the most lovable teammate that they have. So all the other team who already didn't like Earl, then they go to the management. They're like, get him out of here. We didn't like him last year. Mm. We don't like him. I mean, God. Yeah. It's sad. And now he's cut. He's got, he, he played one year in Baltimore, yeah. and he's done. And they're, they're trying to get the $10 million back for this year. I don't know how that's going to happen. But he's definitely going to appeal that. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they want their money back. I hope they have the receipt. All of a sudden, Earl Thomas, yeah. like, who was who was on a path not only to, to Hall of Fame. And that's another question. I mean, is he is he still a Hall of Famer? Right. I don't know. At least, But like, he was on yeah. a path to, like, the discussion of the greatest safeties of all time yeah. is now, like— there's a question of any whether anybody wants him anymore. Yeah, and so my my question, and this is this is this is probably what is it paralysis by analysis or analysis by whatever the expression is. This may be way off base and not even responsible, but it's unfiltered, so I'll throw it out. Okay. There. Do you think that there's anything about the Pete K 
Carroll culture. And I'm not blaming P. Carroll. Sure. Okay, John Schneider, if you're listening, <laughs> and you're going to see me at a boat in, two, in, in, in a few weeks, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody here. I'm just asking a question. Right. Um, is there any, anything about Pete Carroll's culture, empowering the players, mm. letting the players be players, not being, oh, not being high maintenance, letting them do their own thing. Not being yeah. Mike Holmgren, right? Right. Holmgren's a little more of a yeah, that, yeah. militaristic yeah. style. Of, well, not being anybody else, yeah. you know, just sure. creating this, this environment that the players love because they've got the freedom to be themselves. They can improvise both on the field and off the field. You're going to hear Jason Lock and Forrest say the Ravens hated the fact that he went on the field last year and he was always improvising off script and he was doing his own thing. Clearly, uh, he did that here in Seattle. He got that from somewhere, right? Yeah. Is it possible that – remember, when they drafted Earl Thomas, you can go back and check me on this. I know that I'm right. He was the youngest player in the NFL because he was very young for his his age at Texas. Okay. And he was not redshirted and he came out early. So he was like by far and away the youngest player in the NFL. He comes to this environment and culture where Pete Carroll does it a certain way. And God love Pete Carroll. He's had success and I'm yes, not blaming him. Worked. Is it possible? I'm just asking that a player who only knows the Pete Carroll way in the NFL, who's ultra talented, Pro Bowler every year, winning Super Bowls in the Legion of Boom with with Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman. They're doing their own thing. They're running the town. They ran the town, right? Yes. Is it possible that when you pick up that guy now a little later in his career, it's time to go somewhere else? John Harbaugh doesn't do it the same way. Different culture in Baltimore, and you start behaving kind of the way. For all we know, he was missing meetings in Seattle and nobody said anything. Or I don't I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he was late to me. He was doing his own thing, Earl Thomas's way. He goes to another culture and it's like, ooh, this shit doesn't fly here. <laughs> right. And he doesn't really and he, he has trouble making the adjustments and boom, he's out after you. Is it possible that this setup at, in Renton, Washington is so different? The climate is so different than other places that these guys get like a false sense of what reality is in other places. I think, I think it's a really good point. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's not the, it's sort of like working in radio for 18 years and then trying to get a job at like Microsoft radio sets you up for nothing. Right. (laughs) It's not the same. See how they do it differently in Seattle. It doesn't translate everywhere else. I think there's something to it. Plus the fact that he's just not as good as he was. I think it's just a tough pill to swallow for a guy who was a first round pick. Well, you watch him on the field and there's no question. And you wonder whether, is he not as good as he once was because he's gotten older or I think it's, it's more the injuries because I don't think uh, you can go check on how old he is. I don't think he's that old. Yeah. It, I, I think there are safeties that have played much longer and, and stayed at the top of their game much longer than Earl Thomas did. But I think the injuries, those two leg injuries, right. he was so freaking fast and lightning quick sideline to sideline. Yeah. Only I don't 31 know. I, years I'm old. I'm just bringing it up. It's just, you know, look to watch, you know, we're naive to to not ask the question of what's going on off the field. Yeah. Is there something going on off the field? Is he in trouble? Is he in a bad place mentally? Is he in a, in a bad place at home? You know, look, I, 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 I'm not the I'm not the guy who ignores that stuff anymore. After the last few years of my life, I'm right. not the guy who ignores that. And it feels without knowing that there might be other stuff going on for Earl 
that maybe he's in trouble and maybe he's not in a good place. And I hope that he gets healthy and I hope he's healthy mentally. He's got a lot of money. I hope he, he's got stuff in order off the field. And I'd like to see him get another job. Yeah. I don't know how many teams are going to be lined up like they used to want him. I don't know that there's going to be a lot of teams lined up to get him after this Baltimore experience. I know Seahawks fans always go, well, maybe not the worst in nickel. No, there's no. no chance. No chance. Really? Well, well, let's talk about two things. Let's let's just let's just throw this out. Please. Right here. Number one, is he coming in to be a backup? Is Earl Thomas ready right. to sign with a place where he's going to be a full-fledged backup? He's not coming back to Seattle to be a backup. Maybe he's going somewhere else to be a backup. He ain't coming back to Seattle okay, to be a backup. Fine. Second of all, I mean, why would you want him as a backup? Your backup safety has got to be young and on special teams and help you out in different ways. I mean, and third, he hates the Seahawks. I don't know that the Seahawks hate him, but he hates the Seahawks. Well, he hated him when he thought he was going to get paid somewhere else. Yes. We'll see how much he hates him now when he's out of work. I just don't see how that what, – what's the fit? What's the yeah. Earl Thomas fit here? Well, I, well, they signed Marshawn Lynch last year, so I guess – Yeah, because they had an – they'd lost every running back known to man to, to injury. I'm and they were, and they were signing they, – they called me to be a That's running back. Right. Yes, they called Marshawn Lynch. If they had a hole at safety, yeah, it might be a different conversation, but they're too – they just went out and signed the greatest safety since sliced bread, and, and they've got another guy they love, and – They've got younger guy. You got yeah. Marquise Blair. Your guy, Marquise Blair. Well, I, I don't see how human. I don't see how that would be even close to a fit. So Jerry Jones steps in. You think is that is that what we're hearing? Is Jerry Jones going to take? Well, he always wanted to play in Dallas, and Dallas always wanted him. I don't know. Things change, man. Yeah, this is not looking good. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. That's a tough one for him because he was so great in Seattle. He was really on his way to a Hall of Fame career, and it's just kind of sad how he's it just fell off so hard for yeah. him. Sad. I think a lot of things lined up. I think health was a problem. Yeah. Two big-time broken legs or knees or whatever For a guy who, who needs speed. Right. That's how he made his you living. You put that in with clearly something wrong domestically off the field with him and his wife yeah. and his family. Uh, you put him in a new situation. I mean, I think you, you line up these things, and it's not really that hard to understand how it could go down downhill. Anyway, uh, Jason Lockenfora, guest number one. Great. What did I say was guest number two? Uh, oh, Gene Taylor, the athletic director. Did you listen to the Oregon State yes. president on 104P? I thought that was an interesting interview, it was, right? Yeah. About why presidents in the Pac-12 just do not want any part of fall football. Yeah, He claims we're all on the same page. We don't know about this heart dis- disease and condition as a result, as it pertains to COVID. And we just, there's just so much that we don't know. We're not willing to take a risk. In our second segment here, you're going to hear the f- exact opposite of that sentiment. You're going to hear an, you're going to hear the Kansas State athletic director say, "We've talked to our doctors." Well, you'll hear him. You'll, you'll okay. hear him say why the Big Twelve and the SEC and the ACC want to play football. Oregon State guy fall. made it clear he just it's all about player safety. Player safety. That that was like a number one, and he even sort of had a plan on how he's going to maybe recoup some of the money. They're already thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's all about player safety, except that he wants to play in spring and then have football players <laughs> play two seasons within like three months <laughs> yeah. of one another. Well, he had an answer for you. He well, did. we won't have spring he did. practice. He did. He's already thinking ahead. If you're a patron, and I don't know how many people that are patrons have not heard it yet. If you're a patron, go back to 104P. You'll hear Chris Fallows from South Africa. That's right. You'll also hear the Oregon State University new president. And he, he, he has an interesting perspective because he just came to Oregon State from 
LSU, right? Where they're playing football. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it's sort of people some... could be could be dying like on, on the side of the street in, in Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. and they're playing football. They are playing football in Baton Rouge. They're playing football. That's all they and do. That guy's gonna be talking like this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach O. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing football. Uh, three interviews, and then the other stuff segment. Back on the horn with Zeke's president, Dan Black, to give us a little update with what's going on with the 17 locations of Zeke's Pizza these days. Very similar to the last time we talked. Patios and dining rooms are open and uh, steady. Takeout and delivery continue to be kind of the prime action, but people are eating out a little bit in the dining room and the patios. Can you give us a sense of the appetite for all of us to go back and sit in restaurants or at least outside in restaurants? Do you get a sense with the numbers that more and more people are more comfortable to do that? It is mixed. I think people are wary for sure. Socially distance and cleaning practices, all the things that is top of mind with everybody and in the headlines is important. People do not want to be in crowds. At least we're not seeing it at Zeke's. While there's people in, nobody's looking for like a jam-packed bar scene or something. So people are coming in as long as they can keep distance. Any trouble, Dan, with COVID-19, with your staff or with uh, customers? Any issues? We've had some employees who have tested positive. We have really strict procedures in place, uh, quite a bit more than is required by law. So if we have any employee who has been exposed or tested positive, we close the restaurant immediately. We deep clean it immediately, and then we do not let people come back to work until they have tested negative. And so... We verify that people are negative before uh, they can come back into work. So by the time we reopen the location, we know that we have a staff that is confirmed negative. We've had a couple of closures, and we've got it down pretty good. So we were closed for three days is all the last time it happened. And so we've had it happen twice. We see it as just a fact of life at this point. And our view is that if we stay safe and strict on it, then uh, even if we have a store closed here and there, we'll be able to keep the whole system open and functioning for the most part rather than having it spread. Tell us about the delivery arm. How's it going? And people still ordering beer, ordering pizza, ordering salads? And Yep, delivery and takeout is still where most of the action is at. People are picnicking in their backyards at home. They're ordering out when they're we're out and about in the park and stuff like that. So there's still a lot of that. People are out being adventurous in the summer in the Northwest. We're doing a lot of growlers still, but we reintroduced crowlers about a month ago and crowlers are a 32 ounce aluminum can basically so you can get a big uh, aluminum can of draft beer from us that are really easy to take on a hike or throw in a cooler or something uh, and they're recyclable and so it's it's a lot easier to, to haul around than a growler so we're we're selling a lot of beer right now in crowlers so people can be mobile with them do what the levy family does download the zeke's pizza app it's as simple as a couple of clicks and pizza and beer will be at your door we love zeke's pizza we love our partnership with zeke's pizza and it's homegrown in the northwest unfiltered Breaking news coming just in here. The Ravens are officially releasing Earl Thomas. They tweeted this out. We have terminated safety Earl Thomas's contract for personal conduct that has adversely affected the Baltimore Ravens. Episode 105 and the return of an old friend. It's been way too long. CBS NFL insider and daily sports radio megastar in Baltimore, Maryland. 105.7 The Fan Afternoon Drive. We call it Inside Access, baby. Inside Access. Here he is. Yeah. 
Jason Lockenfora. Oh, you're far too kind, buddy. 105 episodes. Congrats, Marvel. Yeah, yeah. That's legit. No, well, I don't know if it's legit, but it's 105 episodes. Three. I mean, it's three figures. That's good. <laughs> I right? want to know about Afternoon Drive in Baltimore, Maryland. At no, the you fan. really don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Tell me. Pandemic radio? Yeah. Tell me. Um, no, I love it. I mean, like I've told you before, I absolutely love it. This is a, a city that the Baltimore Sun is not what it once was, and that there isn't even really a daily sports, like there's one sports columnist, but he doesn't write about baseball. Like he just really kind of wants to write about lacrosse and, you know, get his shots in at the Ravens. But there's a real void, I think, for people who have uh, a strong voice. So it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. We finally have sports back, which has been great. The first four months of the show was we literally launched two days before the Rudy Gobert thing happened. So the timing was novel, I guess, to say the least. Excuse the pun. But no, man, I love it. Uh, I hope to be able to do it for a long time. I love the guy I'm doing it with. We've, we've gone through a number of producers. Our, our producers are kind of like the Spinal Tap drummer. Like one day they might just spontaneously combust in the studio. And, you know, we get a call from the program director saying, yeah, you're going to have another guy on Monday. Or you just might not. Uh, but no, man, it, 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 it's cool. I love it. Top three. Topper, Topper doesn't like it so much, though, because I'm in the attic for four hours and he can't get up there. He does occasionally get up there, oh, but not you very often. Oh, you're still doing it from home? Oh, yeah. They told us we're not opening up till January at the earliest. My partner's at his house. We only did, we did 10 shows in studio. And then oh my God. they got rid of our, they kicked us out. We lost our producer. He got furloughed. And then they had one producer trying to produce two shows for like two months. And that was not working. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been, it, it, you know what, though? I think it's prepared us for a lot. I'm glad that it's kind of been so crazy and so much stuff going on because, at some point, it's all going to seem rote. Like, it's like, wait a minute. Now we just get to talk about games. We don't have to make up, you know what I mean? Four hours of content with no sports. So, nah, it's all good, man. Top three guests so far. Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, Sean, we made a lot of news with Sean Payton. And ESPN was all over our interviews and stuff. So, I mean, that was fun. But, I mean, Sean is so good. Like, I don't think we're particularly gifted for getting him or anything um, or even getting a lot out of him. But he was a lot of fun. DJ Khaled, um, we've got a lot of bank Ooh. sound that we can go to of him saying bless up and different stuff out of that. <laughs> so that was good for the bells and whistles. I, and the number three would be uh, we had the first one-on-one with Trey Mancini after yeah. he revealed that he had colon cancer. And Rocco, who's known him for a long time, coming up to the minors, like prepared this little – I'm actually getting a little worked up. Like, so Rocco wrote this little thing about Trey and how he inspires him. And um, he read it to Trey, and we all kind of lost it. How's he doing? How's Trey doing? He's doing really well. He's doing really well. Um, in fact, his, his girlfriend, uh, Sarah Perlman, who, who used to work for Masson here uh, locally and then was doing some national stuff for NBC, and unfortunately she got laid off in, in the massive wave of NBC letting go of so many people at the regional sports networks. Uh, Sarah's going to come on the pod again next week. Uh, she and Trey just launched a pod together last week um, where they really kind of took everybody behind the scenes of exactly what he's going through but i think he only has three more cancer treatments uh three more like rounds of, of chemo left and uh you know he's really hopeful of playing ball next year and so is everybody else well we're all thinking about him and everybody else that's going through similar situations he actually knows russ a little bit he and russ have the same agent so they, exactly. they actually know each other a little yeah. bit they've hung out a few times and yeah you spoke to russ i'm gonna ask you about that first but let me let me i got this little laundry list and i know you want to run and do stuff with your family number one no no I'm fine. I just, I'm just going to start a grill up. It's okay. not, it's no big thing. I know you spoke with 
the NFL's chief medical officer, Alan Sills, a couple of weeks ago on your pod, or no, on your show, yeah. on your show. On the show, yeah. Uh, any reason to think that the NFL will do anything less but all systems go, we're not pausing for anybody? We're, I mean, since the beginning, they've just kind of thumbed their nose at this virus with drafts and free agency, and yeah, they, they canceled the preseason games, but still, there's no reason to think we're not going to have a full NFL season, or is there? I don't know about a full. I mean, I don't know that any. I mean, they're not even guaranteeing a full season. I mean, there there are certainly things being couched and parsed in a different manner. I mean, uh, since we've had Sills on, he did a conference call with Troy Vincent last week, and even then they were talking about, hey, you know, not everybody's going to maybe play the exact balanced schedule, and you know, some of these out of conference games and some of these division games may have to be moved around. So I think everybody's being realistic that it's impossible to predict the future with this thing you 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 put the best attempts to mitigate it in play and and you hope that uh and so far i think the story of the nfl is how remarkable the numbers are right now but we haven't started traveling yet we haven't had games and guys rubbing up on each other and all those interactions and then them going back a lot of the country schools haven't opened up yet and in parts of the country it sounds like they're going to be open um fairly normal and and most of these guys are in their 20s and 30s and they have you know kids in many cases multiple kids at school, and so what is that going to do to the situation? I think, you know, and I have long thought that they'll start up, all systems go. And I also think, and I asked Dr. Sills this and, and kind of pushed him on it a little bit, I think they're going to have to test every day the whole season. I mean, you saw what happened in Major League Baseball the moment they started traveling and the moment there were lapses in results. You had the Marlins situation, which begot the Cardinals situation, and you're still seeing the ripple effects of that with the Subway Series, you know, this week weekend uh, I don't know how that's going to work in the NFL making up games and and you know having you're not going to be able to have a team do what the Cardinals did and not you know at one point they had 15 cancellations and five played games like that's not going to work in the NFL so and he said that they absolutely have the resources to test every day and I'm like what about the load on these testing facilities and 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 you were talking 150 people per building you know 32 buildings for four months, five months straight. And he, he said that they absolutely have, they could do it if they have to. And, and I think they're going to have to. Jason, what about this Earl Thomas thing? It's the most talked about topic in the NFL the last 48 hours. How could it have gone so wrong so fast? One year and out in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, the reality, Mitch, is it wasn't working last year either. But they won, you know, 14 games and they reconfigured the secondary around him on the fly. There were big concerns then about his behavior, about his attitude, about missing meetings, about whether or not he really wanted to be a part of that group, and about the degree of freelancing that he was accustomed to or he, he, he uh, partook in. Um, but look, you're winning every week, and you're on this magical ride, and you got this 22-year-old MVP on the other side of the ball, and they're always playing with a lead. So, you, you know, it, it, it's kind of winning is the ultimate bomb, right? But uh, now here we are, and they lost in the playoffs again, and expectations are super high, and it's Super Bowl or bust. And Earl isn't showing up on time. He's missing meetings. He doesn't seem interested on the practice field. And this is a team that knows they only have 14 practices, and they want to maximize it. And this last year there was a sense of, well, we'll put up with it because we're winning and because he has played at a high level before and he's coming off an injury. So maybe there's still something left in the tank. At this point, the guys around him were like, he ain't 
half the player he thinks he is. Uh, we think this Deshaun Elliott kid could come in and give us a solid effort and be better than him. We're sick of him doing whatever he wants on the field. Uh, the guy who held him accountable at the practice the other day, Chuck Clark, is universally beloved in that locker room. He wears the dot. He aligns the defense. And once he took over for Tony Jefferson last year, their defense went from a failure to top ten. So when you're throwing on Chuck Clark, you, your locker room, you got a problem with your locker room. Was and it a, was it a fist? He fight? was already a problem. Was it a fist fight? They had to be separated, but Thomas did did try to throw a punch. Mm. Does he have a future in the NFL? Do you think? As of now, I would say buyer beware. I would say buyer beware at this point. The physical skills are eroding. Um, obviously, he's got issues in his life off the field. He did not comport himself as a professional in Baltimore. This was not about one incident. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And again, this was a team that when John Harbaugh sat down with his leadership, they counsel, they said to a man, "Get him out of here. We don't care what it costs you, cap. We don't care. Like, do what you got to do. Wow. But you trust in us. You get him out of here. We'll coach Deshaun Elliott up. We'll be a better football team without this guy we promise you when your guys who you trust who won 14 games for you last year tell you that you should probably listen and the ravens did you spent some time with russell wilson i saw on a video call i mean on zoom from 3500 <laughs> miles apart or it's whatever okay. but yeah it's okay i feel close to you right now and we're not in the same room i feel really close i yeah, feel like we're brothers. That's, yeah that's a good point i feel like i'm your older Very brother cozy. right now yeah uh, yeah, t- tell like me about in my ear, Mitch. you. T- <laughs> you talked about what everyone here has been complaining about, including me for years, which is how about letting him play in the first half of yeah. games and letting him, you know, put, early downs, put the early game- quarters. Yeah, I don't. I still don't think the Seahawks, with all their offensive coordinators, I guess there's only been a couple, but I just have never yeah. felt like they have truly put the season and the games in mm-hmm. his hands. I think it's time to do that. You know where I've stood on this going all the way back. Yeah. You, you know? You think, they'll um, do it? you think they'll do it? I think they'll do it more. Will they do it as much as we'd like? I, I don't know. And I even found Russ's answer to that. I mean, the more I – like when I went – you know, you hear it in real time, and then I went back and watched it again as I was tweeting it, and then I transcribed it for part of a column. For him, I kind of feel like – he was making his case. He's never going to, you know what I mean? He's so team first and he's going to be careful about his words and he's going to make sure he praises everybody else. But I felt like in his own way, he was pointing out all the guys we have here who can make a difference in the passing game and all the different ways we could beat teams. And then he did the self-deprecating thing. Yeah, I came from Wisconsin. So I know how to hand the ball off. But then the way he finished the answer, I, I kind of felt like that was him sending up sort of the, the flag saying, come on, yeah, like I agree with this. Like, yes, you know, all these people who study this stuff and play calling and tendencies and what it, you know, how much you could benefit from throwing on first down and passing to set up the run and doing more in play action. And, yeah, like, sure, of course, he, he, he's been in the league eight, going into year nine, you know, uh, he talks to other guys in the league. Like he sees what other people are doing. Yeah, let Russ cook. No, no, will, will they let him, you know, bake? Or will they have him as a sous chef? I don't know, but he's got to be – it's got to be a little more yeah. than what we've seen. Yeah. What do you think about Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon? I know you guys talked a little bit about that together. Yeah, I think one of them is going to end up there. Um, and it's going to be a matter of timing, and, and there's things that are out of their hands. And who not? I mean, look, are we playing football in November? I don't know. 
because obviously one of these guys is going to miss at least half the year. You know, and Josh Gordon, the reinstatement is, is also out of their hands. But I thought Russell was very effusive in his praise of Josh Gordon and how much they want to welcome him into the group. And look, he hung around with Antonio Brown this offseason as well. And, uh, you know, I, look, he, he wants to win, and he feels like those guys will help him win. And let's face it, the more playmakers you have, the more you're probably chucking it around to all quadrants and opening up that offense. Every time I've asked you about Jadeveon Clowney, you've answered me, where else? He didn't is want he... to believe me at first. Where he else want to, is he You didn't going? want to believe me back in February and March. Where else is he going? That's what you always say to me. Where else? Where, where's well, he going? I'm like, who's? I, I thought. I mean, everybody says he's a twenty-five million dollar player. I'm like, uh, no, he's not. Still coming back? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, at this point, I don't even know if he played. You know what I mean? Like, eh, he, he. I mean, if you're him, and you're not sure there's going to be a full season, and you're going somewhere else, and you might not be as comfortable. And you're not getting paid. And you're going to end up getting, getting a prorated salary. Right. You're already going to get pennies on the dollar what you thought you were going to get, and now there's a chance you only get prorated portion of that if we don't play you know 16 games. I don't know, Mitch. The market is what it is. Nothing has changed, and I, now he's going to bank on somebody getting hurt somewhere. But like the odds of that happening in a place where they're not already sort of at their payroll threshold, the odds of a good team, right? Most of the good teams have a lot of money tied up and a lot of people like. If Joey Bosa goes down, I don't think the Chargers are going to all of a sudden pay uh, pay this guy a million dollars a game to come play football for him. You know, like if the Chargers, I mean, if the Steelers lose Bud Dupree, I got news for you. They're up against the cap. They're not bringing in Jadavian Clowney for anything close. You know, even, in, I, again, and I, if people are saying 15, I, I don't know that he's ever had more than a firm 12 on the table plus incentives that might get him to 15 or 16. That's what I heard Cleveland had on the table. I don't, I mean, people are saying Tennessee had more. I, I don't, I don't necessarily know that to be true, but if that's, if he's still thinking he's, you know, a 15, $16 million player, a million dollars a week, that's not out there even on a prorated basis. I don't believe. Let's end with this. Let's play a little quarterback round table real quickly. Who starts opening okay. day in Chicago? Although Trubisky will start opening day. Does he get through the game with his job intact? I don't know, but he'll start. Not Nick Foles? No, I don't think so. Okay. They can't. They can't. Look, they've stuck with this kid this long. You, you can't knock. Now, 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 after 14 practices, you're going to decide this other guy is really? Nah. I don't see how they do that. If they do that, then they should have just cut him and, and signed. You know what I mean? Like, well, what don't we, we could do? We do an hour on the Bears and their inept approach to quarterbacking, <laughs> but I think I think Mitch gets Week One for sure. Marcus Mariota and Derek Carr in Vegas. Oh, that's Carr. Week One, that's Carr. How about now? Week are there five? packages for Mariota? Does Mariota get on the field? Yeah. Are there packages for Mariota? Maybe, but Derek Carr's the starter. What's going to happen, in Washington? That's a Tommy and this Alex Smith thing. I mean, you talk about. A feel-good story. I mean, that's a miracle story that this guy not only didn't lose his leg and not only could walk normally again, but has been cleared for football activities and partaking in football activities. Now, is this enough time, such a truncated training camp? I would say probably not, but I also would have told you when I heard about this injury that there's no way. I think even talking about him throwing a football again, other than in his backyard to his kids, is ridiculous. Yet here he is. So my assumption is Haskins. But I would not. I mean, how can you count, count Alex Smith out? Over, under, on which week Tua starts in Miami? I think I said it at five, maybe. 
mean, I think Fitzpatrick's going to get at least a month, and then how are they playing, and how is he looking, and what's Tua doing in practice, and you know, has what is that division looking like? I think the earliest you probably see Tua is week five, week six, and my my. I mean, if Fitzy's playing like he did last year, and Fitzy goes way back with Chan Galley, there, there's a, I mean, that's not a horrible football team. There's a possibility it doesn't happen until the second half of the season, but I do think you're going to get. Um, and also the other thing, too, is, okay, we're three weeks in. Are there five teams dealing with coronavirus? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if it's yeah. starting to look like diminishing returns on how long the season is, right. then that changes everything, too. But if it's a normal year, I would, you know, I think he probably starts playing uh, in November and they don't look back. Tyrod Taylor for the Chargers? I think all the way. I think Chargers, I mean, I fall for this okey-doke every year, but I, I mean, I, I look at the Chargers and say they got difference makers at every level of the defense. And the offensive line isn't great, but it's not horrible. They have a bunch of playmakers, and now they have a quarterback who's not going to be throwing up, you know, jump balls all over the place. So, I mean, I saw Tyrod Taylor go to the playoffs with a Bills team that didn't have any close to this much talent. I think they're a playoff team. Okay. Who's going to win the West? You gonna pick him again? Every year you pick the Seahawks. You pick him again. You're West. Yeah. Uh, have I? I don't know. You pick him every year. Every single year. Did they make year. me? I'm now. Wait, wait, wait. I had to follow this whole gambling <laughs> prediction thing recently, but I don't think we picked divisions All in right. that. I'll let you off the hook. You can wait. You just have to come back on in a couple of weeks. That's all. You want to wait? I, I don't know if. See, I don't like doing this with you because you you actually will go and look. <laughs> I don't remember. I. I uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a two-horse two, two horse race. I worry about you guys at the point of attack on both sides of the ball, but I, I look at San Francisco, and I don't know who Garoppolo's throwing the ball to other than the tight end. Both teams will be really good. I mean, I, I'll say Seattle. Why not? You say them every year. You him-haw, and you say them every single year you pick the Seahawks. Yeah. So you might as well yeah, keep going I, with I, it. I'll say Seattle. Okay. And where do we listen if we want to listen all the way out here or somewhere around the country that's listening to this? 105% radio, uh, radio.com? You could go to the radio.com app and listen there, or you could listen online at 1057thefan.com. I'm trying to think if I have any Seattle-related ties coming up. Not really. We're big. My, me and my boys like Kyle Lewis, though. We're big, big fans of his. Okay. We're going to listen, yeah. and we'll talk to you. It's fun watching him play. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks before this whole shindig Jared begins. Jared Kalenic is the truth. Kalenic. You can call him Kalenic if you'd like. Okay. I'll call him Kalenic. <laughs> I don't know. When I was watching the South Atlantic League, the scouts were calling him Kalenic. But... We love him. We love him. We You'll love have him an guy. outfield. I don't know about your infield, but yeah. you got an outfield coming. I hope. I hope something's coming. The, the great Jason Lockenfora, 105.7, the fan in Baltimore, and our friend, CBS NFL Insider. Thank you, Jason. You got it, brother. JLC, love the guy. Remember during the football seasons at 8 a.m. back in the KJR days? Watch this Earl Thomas story in Baltimore. Boy, his world has become quite the soap opera going back to the injuries and divorce from the Seahawks. Time to visit with our old friend Lindsey Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler World Class Steakhouses. Lindsey, what's up with Daniel's Broiler these days? Well, we're uh, we're out there fighting the good fight. We've got three restaurants open, as we've discussed before. We're taking advantage of this beautiful weather that we're seeing in the Seattle area right now. We've added as many outside seats as we could at all the restaurants. If you come to Daniel's Lesha, you'll see we've added a completely new patio on the front side 
And at Daniels Lake Union, we have a new patio on the lower floor. So uh, lots of great options to sit outside. Lindsay, people wouldn't ordinarily think of Daniels Broiler for takeout and delivery, and we should discuss that a little bit more. The other night, we were at our little yacht club area of our neighborhood, and they were carrying their Daniels Broiler packages from the Leshy location. This is something you're doing more and more of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we're not a pizza delivery restaurant, but there, there's a couple, I think, really great ways to enjoy us. Obviously, what we're known for is a celebration kind of a place. And, and now with, uh, if people are more comfortable celebrating at home, then everything on our menu is available for takeout or delivery. We've got great packaging to preserve the quality. So there's still lots of reasons for, for celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, and uh, that's a great way to do it. And then we also have some great, what would have been more our bar menus in the past, burgers and fish sandwiches and fries and clam chowder. And so, you know, just for casual, there's lots of great to-go and delivery options. There he is, Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler for 40 years, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. The Big 12 announced their scheduling plan for the upcoming season. This is what they're doing. They moved to a plus one model. So schools are going to play nine conference games in addition to one out of the conference. And that's their plan right now for the 2020 season. Our next guest was kind with his time to us a few months ago. He's the athletic director at Kansas State University where the Big 12 is very much planning on playing football in the fall. Gene Taylor back with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Hi, Eugene. How are you? I'm good, Mitch. How you doing? Good to be back on. Thanks we're, for having me. We're doing okay. Football fans have no idea which way to turn, Gene. I'm out here in the Pac-12 land that says it's too dangerous to play, and yet you guys say different. Speak to us on that. Well, you know, I think everybody's looking and hearing from their cardiologists and doctors and the folks that in our league and our doctors felt that as long as we had a protocol in place to test the athletes, if they did get uh, COVID for the heart conditions and put them through a pretty strict protocol of testing, and if there were any signs, those athletes would sit. But the point that they made was, first of all, you're not going to have your whole team get COVID. You're probably going to, if you're doing all the right things, uh, probably keep it to a minimum. And so if you only have a few kids get COVID and then you only have a few kids with potential to heart, why shut down the whole thing? Because you, you, why punish 100 guys for the 20 guys that might get COVID or might have a heart-related issue? And so we felt pretty good that with our doctors and our system and our cardiologists telling us as long as you test them and sit those kids, you, you could play football. Um, again, that was from the heart perspective. And then, of course, you have to do all the things to keep them from getting COVID too. So that's, that's the, you know... That's the other issue is trying to keep our athletes safe. So what's the plan? How often are you going to test them, Gene? Well, right now we're testing them once a week. And once we get into the season, our first game, September 12th, we'll test them three times a week. We'll test them Sunday after the game. We'll test them Wednesday. And then we'll test them Friday before the game. Of those three tests, at least one has to do be the PCR test, the one, the nasal test. The other ones could be uh, antigen testing or another PCR test. So we think once we get to the season, and we're we're still hopeful that we'll not have any interruptions with a team, but there's certainly that possibility um, that a team we may be players we may have uh, several kids get it that we may not be able to play a game, but hopefully that won't be the case. But we're going to try to 
do everything we can to keep that from happening. Gene, how's your group of athletes doing testing-wise and um, general population at Kansas State University? Everybody all right? Knock on wood. So far, so good. We've been testing them once a week. We have our volleyball, soccer, and uh, football athletes. They're, they're called with basically the high-risk sports because there is contact. We've been testing them since they got back to you know campus for basically their fall season preseason so to speak and we've tested multiple times multiple athletes and we've had um, one positive so Mm -hmm. that's a good thing Mm -hmm. and we were able to isolate that person and then campus opened last weekend and you know there were students being students and we just told our athletes to not go to those functions don't go downtown don't go to the bars you know don't go to the fraternity i think we did have a fraternity closed or or go into quarantine on, on campus but i think so far so good I had a chance to catch up with the Oregon State University president on our last show, and he told us that everybody was on the same page during the the Zoom meeting or what have you. Can you characterize, Gene, to the best of your ability, what your meetings are like with the other athletic directors and presidents? Is there is there any hesitation amongst any schools in your conference, or is everybody kind of pounding the, pounding the pavement to move along? Well, I think, you know, I wouldn't say that we're – we're all on the same page and, and we all talk, we have great conversations and we have very, you know, frank conversations, whether it's just the ADs on the calls or when the presidents get on the calls. But I think what we feel pretty confident in is when our doctors are telling us that we're doing the right things, we're doing the right testing amounts and we're making sure the, the athletes are going through a protocol if they get, uh, if they are positive and, and so I think everybody feels really good about our medical plan and what we're doing from that perspective, knowing that we're still kind of inching our way there. We, we, you know, we still have a long way to go before September 12th, and we're all hopeful that our, we know when they're in the athletic facilities, they're safe because we can monitor them. And it's just when they go home, are they doing the right things out in the public and out socially? If they're staying safe there, and I think the kids are motivated to stay safe because they want to play. And I think that's helps driving a, a yeah. safety factor. Too. You, you just stepped in into something interesting because a lot of people, including Rick Neuheisel, who was on a show recently are saying that these players might be safer playing and in your, whatever you want to call it, bubble, as opposed to not playing and scattering. I, I think Oklahoma in your conference just had an incident where, the coach let him go home or let him go out for a while, and they came back and there were nine or ten or twelve uh, positives. So, so maybe this is even a safer route than not playing. Well, I, I certainly feel that way, and our coaches feel that way. If we didn't have the driving force, because these kids want to play, and they've told me I would talk to our team a couple of times and you know walked them through the the seriousness of COVID and and the potential of the heart issue, and and we talked and I said, guys, if you don't want to play, you have options. You don't have to play. But how many in this room, we had 120 kids, and they all said, most of them, I probably 99% said, we want to play, Gene, and we, we will be safe. And and so I think what if we didn't play, you still have the same concerns, right? The kids are going to get COVID. They're still going to be potentially uh, exposed to the heart issue. But yet the driving factor and the motivation for them is to stay safe so they can play. And, and then when we're around them, we're testing them. We're seeing them, we're checking them, we're doing daily checks and see how their temperature. So if they're not part of the system, part of the facility, they're going to take a greater risk, in my opinion. Gene, how about fan attendance in your conference? Uh, Well, it's it's driven by each, each, well, basically local health folks. Uh, Most of them are around the 25% 
uh, capacity. And that's kind of what we're uh, aiming for with us is we got approval to do 25% of Bill Snyder's. So it's about 12,000 that we'll be able to have at games and we'll do, you know, social distancing mask will be required. Uh, we're actually not allowing tailgating. So we're putting a lot of, you know, new uh, nuances in. So it'll be a different feel. That's for sure. Does anybody care whether a certain team has a better home field advantage because they can local officials say they can have more fans versus another school in the conference that can only have X amount of fans. Is anybody worried about competitive balance in all of this? That really hasn't come up. That's a, that's a great question, but you know, obviously 25% at, at Texas stadiums, a lot more fans than, <laughs> you know, 25% of 50,000. So I haven't known we haven't, that's funny. No one has really even talked about that, but a majority of them, I would say, I think West Virginia announced no fans for the first game, mm-hmm. and I think everybody else is pretty much at the 25% in the Big 12. How much of the conversation, Gene, was about the viability of spring football, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 say they want to do something in the spring instead? There are a lot of people that are saying spring is not going to work out because of its proximity to next fall and the NFL and all that stuff. What about spring football? We didn't go too deep into it from a scheduling perspective because – once we kind of landed on the fact we were going to play in the fall, but all the things that you have talked about or mentioned just now are the concerns is when do you start it? You know, you have to be finished, you know, try to be finished no later than May, but then May all of a sudden you're going to turn around and give them a month off in June and come back and start fall camp again. You know, how many of their seniors, you know, potentially NFL type guys are going to really want to play. So there's a lot of things that are concerning uh, with the spring and, no, the other part of that is, you know, the flu season is typically in the winter months. And, and so now, and then you're going up against basketball. And it's just, right. there was a lot of concern. So we were, you know, we didn't get too much into that conversation. Last two questions for you, Gene. We really appreciate your time back here on Mitch Unfiltered. Can you give us a peek into the revenue aspect of this? Obviously, you're saving some TV money. You're getting some TV money that you wouldn't get if you didn't play. But you're turning down some gate money. From, a, from an overall perspective, if you if you assume and we all cross our fingers and hope that you get through this unscathed, you play the full schedule, what will it be like from a bottom line perspective, Gene? Well, right now we're projecting, you know, assuming we get, like you said, some of the TV money, we're probably going to be down about $20 million uh, overall. And, again, that's assuming basketball still goes off, even with limited fans, and you still get the NCAA basketball monies. And so we're looking at all of our options. You know, we've done furloughs, we've done, you know, cost cutting and operational budget cuts. And we think um, if we stay the course, that's where we'll end up is about $20 million short. So we're looking at what financing options we might be able to come up with. And then what will the year, the football season feel like without two major conferences and other teams and other smaller conferences not playing? Can we still have... And I guess this is kind of a nebulous question. I apologize for that. Can we still have what would feel like a normal season, a national champion, a national championship playoff? Can we can we have all those things without the Pac-12 and the Big Ten? It's going to be different. You know, obviously the Big Ten and the, and the Pac-12 are really good teams out there. And, you know, so I, it's always going to have an asterisk by it if, if the three conferences are able to get through and, and the college football playoffs says, well, we'll just pick, you know, the four teams out of that group. It's going to be different, that's for sure. And it will be interesting as if we play in the fall and then they play in the spring, 
you know, how do you, how do you balance that? So, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. And it's, it's, you know, I'm going to be missing when we play a two o'clock game, coming home and be able to watch some packed in, you know, packed whole football. And right. That'll be just a weird field. It really will. Gene Taylor's the, uh, the athletic director at Kansas state university, his, uh, his conference still planning to play and two others as well. Always great to visit with you. I hope we find you and your family. Well, stay safe and we'll talk down the line. Thanks so much. Same to you. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. The voice of Gene Taylor, athletic director of Big 12 Kansas State University. The stark differences between that conversation and the one that I had with Oregon State President King Alexander back on 104P are amazing. Great to visit again with Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. And I have to say, I've been trying to get Jordan out on the golf course for the last several days, weeks. But every time I ask, he tells me, I go to work at 5, I come back at like 11 o'clock, I have no time because I'm so super busy doing refinances. Here he is, so the only way I get a chance to talk to him is right here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Jordan? Yeah, hey Mitch, it's good to talk to you, buddy. Tell me what it is that you're doing from 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. that you can't get on the golf course with your buddy Mitch Levy. (laughs) Well... Uh, as everybody's reading in the news, incredibly low interest rates right now. Rates are at all-time lows. Refinances are through the roof. Volumes are spiking to record levels. And, I mean, we've got purchases and people buying homes left and right right now. Tell me more about the numbers. I know it somewhat depends on the applicant and credit rating and everything else, but give us a broad sense of why things are so crazy, busy, and at least good in your world, and why people are racing to refinance and to buy. Yeah, I mean, with your with your purchases, you're finding rates anywhere between two and a half to three percent on thirty-year fixed mortgages, and on refinances, you're pretty much in the same realm, depending on your loan value, credit scores, equity position. So, you're looking at rates mid twos to high twos right now so everybody's saving hundreds of dollars a month okay so they call you at what number and how long does that conversation need to be before they get off the phone and they have something to consider of whether they want to go through this process so the office line my direct line is 425-250-3145 and my cell phone is 425-890 2957. It's a call that's no more than about five to seven minutes to get an overall understanding of um, where you're at currently in your mortgage, what the rates are, what your rate currently is, and what uh, your monthly payment is. And we'd run a couple numbers and you're on your way. It's five to seven minutes to get the basic information going and decide if it's worth your time to move forward. There he is, Jordan Flowers, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. The FDA just granting emergency approval for coronavirus saliva test, calling it a testing innovation game changer. This test, which is simpler, cheaper, and less invasive than nasal swabs, was developed by Yale University researchers. It's been used by the NBA and could greatly help expand testing capacity. If you're not paying attention or just have had enough of COVID news and updates, you may be unaware of the new developments at Yale University involving a new test that's easy, inexpensive, and hopefully, hopefully might even be available for home use someday, potentially opening the doors for us to get out in a safer way. Ann Wiley is one of the two scientists that have produced what's called Saliva Direct, and she's so nice 
to be with us here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Mitch Unfiltered. Hiya, Ann. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. So start from the beginning. I want to hear the whole story of Saliva Direct. Well, I guess it started back in March. We've been working on SARS-CoV-2 testing since the start of the um, pandemic. We really, uh, quite a group of us across the Yale School of Public Health, the Yale School of Medicine, Yale New Haven Hospital, banded together to um, really study SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 disease progression. And quite early on in that, we actually, um, just a bit by chance, uh, identified saliva as quite a sensitive sample type for the detection of the virus. And this was really um, quite exciting for us because we were we had been experiencing those supply chain issues that other people were seeing with the swabs. Um, you know, we knew that people didn't like having that daily swab or having that, you know, very deep nasopharyngeal swab. The process of testing the samples was also time consuming. It was expensive. And we soon realized that we really needed to have another option that was going to be um, more acceptable to everyone for frequent testing. And obviously, you know, saliva would be preferable to having a daily nasopharyngeal swab. Um, So we're inspired by others who were doing something a little bit similar where they would take what the swab was put in and test that almost directly into the PCR. And we just wondered if we could do the same with saliva ourselves. So we did quite a crude little experiment to start just to see if there was potentially any hope in this. And we got some quite promising results that we thought, you know, we should really explore this further because there could be quite some potential here. About that time, we also got quite a surprising email uh, from Robbie Seeker at the Timberwolves. So, you know, COVID times were already, you know, could be quite crazy or unbelievable as it was. And then the next minute we're getting emails from the MBA who are wanting to talk to us about our saliva testing. Mm -hmm. And they were... um, you know, they were quite aware also early on that there was going to be this need also for frequent repeat testing. And I think, you know, they also knew that, you know, their players, their teams, their staff wouldn't be so happy about having a daily nasopharyngeal swab. So we got chatting with them and, you know, we realized that a lot of our ideals were quite aligned with the idea that we wanted um, to get a sample type out there that was easier, but also a testing method that was cheaper. Um, we both wanted to, you know, both the MBA and our group at Yale, we were really um, we were really keen to see a testing method that could be accessible to everybody through, you know, all communities because the options at that time were, you know, all they still are, or most mm-hmm. of the other testing methods at the moment mm-hmm. are really expensive and inaccessible to so many people. Um, so we started working together with them and sort of like throwing some ideas around, you know, we had this sort of quite quick, cheaper method already sort of planned out, but I think they really helped us drive and sort of develop this further. And of course, they also supported our research efforts, which was um, yeah. a really amazing experience. Are they using your saliva direct methods down in Orlando where they're playing the NBA playoffs? Is that what they're using to test? So actually, they're, they're more helping us validate our saliva direct. Okay. So up until now, you know, a lot of the testing has been for you know, people who are presenting with symptoms or in hospitals, it's been more diagnostic testing. And sort of whenever a new test sort of comes available, the big question is, how is this test going to, um, how is it going to perform in sort of more asymptomatic individuals, healthier individuals, you know, maybe thinking about those uh, populations who are returning to schools, for example. Right, right. And so they, you know, by partnering with them, it gave us a 
massive population to be able to test our method on and we would have loved to have been able to test and validate this in our own local communities but we are a very small research team you know we were stretched to the limit as it was so the fact that the MBA was like hey we can get these samples for you we'll do all the collecting we'll send them to you all you actually just have to do is test them and you know we'll give you some research support so you can also develop the method we're like you know, this is going to be a much faster and easier way to get a lot more information more quickly. So they were doing their own routine screening with the nasal swab and the oral swab combined. That's been going off to the diagnostic labs such as Quest or Bioreference. But then after they had the swab for testing, they could choose to participate in our study. And so they could choose to give us a saliva sample that would be shipped to us and all de-identified, all the samples were blinded, so we could just test them and in the end see how our results compare to yeah. the swabbing method and just how well yeah. Live Direct is working. And how does it work without getting too kind of uncomfortably graphic for our audience? Are we talking about the saliva that always sits in your mouth or is the patient challenged to come up with, I don't know how to even say it, a more extreme type of saliva? <laughs> We only want true saliva, just that really, really normal saliva that's okay. in your mouth. Okay. And, and it's going to be so important to this test because that thicker, you know, that thicker sample that you, we don't want you coughing or sniffing and it can right. be very hard to work with and it can actually interfere with a method. We just want very normal saliva. Okay. okay. Any sterile container and no proprietary equipment or reagents to run. Is that what makes it a lot less expensive and a lot, a lot less time consuming? It really does. So like we're just talking about very standard laboratory plastics that are out there, and you know they're they're almost pennies a piece. You know, a lot of the other saliva, t- some of the other saliva tests that are out there at the moment have tubes that can cost anywhere from seven dollars, fifteen dollars, fifty dollars even. So if you're already having that as part of your test, you can see like why some of these tests can get so expensive. So yeah, we just have a very simple plastic tube. Mm-hmm. We have validated indeed the reagents from um, different companies just to help you know, help with any supply chain issues. And we also hope this will keep competition between the different companies and help keep those prices down as well. Approximately, how much would each test cost? So there's just, just the reagents for the test are only about $1 to $4 per test. Um, a lot of the labs already have quite good existing relationships with suppliers, so they might be able to get um, the reagents down to only $1 per test. It's important to remember, though, that there are other costs that do have to go on to that that can obviously see that price higher, such as the logistics for receiving the test, um, the organizing of them, the personnel to still run the tests, the facility that the test has been taking place in. So, you know, these tests aren't, you know, they're probably going to be more in the range of, you know, but somewhere between $10, $20 more likely with all of those um, other additional costs on top of them. So local community groups, whether it's uh, colleges, schools, universities, high schools, do you see this being a, a big game changer this this year, or is it too too early to think that maybe this will be able to get more kids to school? I'm, I'm hopeful that this is actually going to make a change this year, um, in the coming weeks or so. Um, and I think it's really important to note is that, you know, Saliva Direct is not the only kind of this test out there. I mean, University of Illinois has got a phenomenal saliva testing system in place and a test that's quite similar to our own. And there are a number of other tests that are in development, but I'm just really excited that with our EUA and the type of EUA that we got, I'm just really hoping that it's 
we're going to start seeing this shift from this way yeah. of thinking about traditional diagnostic tests to these tests that we now need for these screening situations to help with, you know, help in our reopening. And I'm just hopeful that because we've had our EUA, that it's going to be easier. We're going to see more and more of these tests kind of become available because with the more options we have out there, again, if we can get those prices down, if we can get more people tested, this is how we're going to get a control on this virus. What's the accuracy rate, Anne, of the saliva direct test compared to the old swab deep down the nose? So it's actually um, very comparable. So in some of our um, early validation work, we saw about a 94% uh, concordance, so quite you know a high match. And I can also say um, I can't I can't tell you how many of our NBA players tested positive, but I can tell you that we also saw really good concordance with their swabbing method that they were having and our saliva testing. Um, if anyone out there is really technical, we're seeing anywhere from about depending on what sort of setup you use, it can be between three and twelve virus RNA copies per microliter, which which is to say this is very similar to many of the other great PCR, the most complicated tests that are out there at the moment. So if I'm getting this right, you take saliva samples from a number of people, put them in one sterilized container, and if it tests positive, then you go look at the individual samples, and if the overall pool of the saliva doesn't, then you know that everybody is negative, correct? So we're not doing pooling yet, um, but that's indeed something that is next on our list to validate. We're going to suggest that people don't all spit into the same container, <laughs> but we'll probably take their individual samples okay. and um, we'll do the combination for you. But okay. indeed, I mean, again, if this, we're, we've done some preliminary work. The pooling looks promising. And indeed, if we could get, you know, five samples into one test, again, this is going to increase testing capacity yes, and bring costs faster. down further. Yeah, and faster and faster so Mm -hmm. uh, you're not looking to commercialize the test that's important to note for our audience you're not the Yale study is not looking to make money what comes next what happens what has to happen next for this to get out there increase our testing and get our kids back to school safely that's a really good point is that we're not producing a kit you can't just call us up and we can't send any kits to out to you unfortunately but what we're already doing is we're already working with labs around the country We've had, um, you know, we've received such a great response from so many labs already. We're now looking to um, get in touch with them, get them set up. And so they have to come to us and we will um, just help them get set up on the method. So that's what we're up to at the moment. So that's why I'm hoping to start seeing this roll out within the next few weeks. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm hoping. I'm hoping over the next few weeks I see a lot more of the saliva direct tests, especially here in the state of Washington, where I've got I've got one going to college, one going to high school. They want to go to school. They don't want to. They don't want to be around their parents and take <laughs> quizzes and tests online. That's the last thing my kids want. Anne Wiley, one of the two scientists that produced Saliva Direct at Yale University, terrific to be with us here on the 105th episode of Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Anne. Continued success. I'm cheering for you all the way. I hope you can hear me all the way from Seattle, Washington. We're cheering for you. Thank you. New Zealander Ann Wiley, Yale University scientist and part of the team that has brought to life Saliva Direct, a less invasive, easier, cheaper, and just as accurate COVID test that hopefully will be the game changer we've been waiting for, all while the world waits for a dependable and safe vaccine.
I always say it and I mean it. There's no Mitch Unfiltered without great partners like Premier Wealth Manager Evergreen Golf Call. Here he is, CEO Tyler Hay. How's everyone doing over there, Tyler? What's the latest with EG? Everything's going great, Mitch. We're just dealing with the same same things that everybody's dealing with, the post-COVID world and actually the kind of the talk around uh, Evergreen is, is what's going on with schooling and stuff like that. Uh, we found out that our kids are going to be doing remote learning for the foreseeable future, so my wife's not very happy, so that generally <laughs> is not, not a good sign. <laughs> Tell me about the, um, the strategies and the financial situation ramifications long-term as it relates to the COVID virus and what the economy's been doing. Sure. Maybe I'll give you kind of two high-level points that I think will affect people, and not necessarily their portfolios directly, but there certainly are ways to extrapolate what it might mean for that. But I do think that one giant trend that's here to stay as a result of this is sort of the re-suburbanization, if you will, of the world. I think that you're going to see lots of people deciding for a variety of reasons that they no longer want to live in an urban environment. And I think that has real implications for home values and commuting and telecommuting and all those things. So I think that's a pretty interesting trend that I don't think is going away. And then I also think that you're going to see kind of a deglobalization of the world. I mean, one of the interesting points, I don't know how many listeners know, but of the essential ingredients for producing pharmaceuticals, something like 80% of it is produced in countries abroad, the United States. And I'm talking about medicines that we are then using here. So I think that you're going to see that shift start to occur and and come back uh, within our borders. So from an investment standpoint, those are some things. And I think also it's interesting to think about in the sports world, maybe transition the conversation or pivot it to kind of be on brand with something that, you know, your listeners might be interested in. You know, I think that one of the maybe silver linings for Seattle sports fans is that COVID-19 fallout could make it more likely for the Sonics to come back to Seattle. I know Glenn Taylor, the owner of the Timberwolves, has promised that he isn't going to sell to someone that's going to move the team. But we've heard that message here in Seattle, and and we saw how that worked out. So given the state of Minnesota and, and basically local governments everywhere, applying tax revenue to build a stadium seems probably pretty unlikely. And then I think that the other thing that is is worthwhile and has some sports ramifications and has some investing ramifications is just the emergence of online gambling. We're seeing it on a state by state level. It's being legalized, but in this world, tax revenue is is a scarcity. Um, And so I think that you're going to see states kind of accelerate their adoption of sports gambling. And and I think that that'd probably be a pretty exciting thing for our local listeners here. Wouldn't that be an incredible silver lining if because of COVID-19 or indirectly, we end up with an NBA team back here in Seattle? Begin your introduction to Evergreen Golf Call with their website and their free newsletter, evergreengk.com. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Okay, three highfalutin interviews in the books. You had, the, you had your Jason Lock and Four as your appetizer. Yes. You had your Gene Taylor, the athletic director of Kansas State, as your main course. And then you had Ann Wiley, Yale University scientist. My old colleague. Saliva, <laughs> saliva direct COVID tests with the saliva that pools in the bottom of your mouth. Great. Not the... 
Not that saliva. That's not saliva. That, <laughs> yes, it is. That's coming from the nasal area. When you start making that's that noise. Saliva. It all counts, uh, my no, friends. No, no, no. That's all not right, good. this is the Dante Soden episode, uh, episode 105. We're remembering Dante, who we think lived to about 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, he was, we had him 15 years. He was one, I think, when we got him. He came, yeah. We, the reason we, my wife adopted him is because he looked old, because he was on a website, and the young ones will get adopted. So we wanted a senior, older okay. dog. My okay. wife's that kind of person. Okay. He came bouncing off the truck like Odie from Garfield. Just <laughs> like, like springs it. All the other dogs had their tails between them because they just come from a hurricane. You know, hurricane yeah. Katrina. They're all yeah. freaked out. This guy comes, she said he comes flying off. I'm he's, here. He's running around inside the car, almost uh, killed her on the way home. And uh, they had a great bond. So he was a great dog, Dante. Dante Soden. He will be missed. Great Dante dog. would want you, unfortunately, to bring another one in. If Dante had, your cho- had his choice... Now that he's gone, he yeah. would say, I want you to bring somebody else in. I want you to save another one like you saved me. I want you to treat another dog in rescue fashion the way you treated me for all those years. He'd want that. You know, does, that, does, that, does that count in your world? Yeah, it counts. I'm sure we'll get there at some point, but you maybe we said can... no. You said you're holding, you're holding your ground. Can I get the carpets clean for like a month, please? <laughs> Just let me have clean carpets for a month. Oh. Yeah, it's all, but I don't... Those last few weeks and months are not good. Well, yeah, Not I, easy. his tail probably didn't wag for two years. Oh. And like my wife says, dogs smile with their tails. Oh. That's how you know they're, you know, he was just, but it, I'm the least, I'm not a very spiritual person. I don't believe in, you know, car, I, you know as soon as they, they gave him the shot outside, it was raining out. I swear to you, the, the clouds kind of parted oh. and some sun came out. And I made sure to tell my wife that like, okay, maybe he's saying something up there. You know, it's fine. He's gone. And anyway, everyone was very nice. Thank you for all the nice notes on Twitter for all you that. Wanna, you want to toss out the first pitch on the other stuff segment? Where you, you know the, the name? Oh, pitch. Tom Brenneman. Oh, Tom Brenneman. Tom Brenneman said something inappropriate when he thought he was off the air. That he was, he, t- let, let's tell everybody who Tom Brenneman is. Okay. Everybody knows Tom Brenneman, but you may not know Tom Brenneman. In other words, you've seen him a million times. Anybody who's a sports fan listening to this has seen Tom Brenneman a million times. Baseball guy. I think he's a St. Louis baseball guy, Kansas City baseball guy. I thought it was the Reds, maybe? Ah, Cincinnati, that's right. His father was Marty Brenneman, an all-time Hall of Fame announcer. He's also on Fox doing football. You've seen him do Seahawks games. He's one of these real professional, been around for years, like professional-sounding announcers unlike us. (laughs) Is that right? So if He's a real pro. You may saying. not know him by name, but you know him by his sound and maybe by his face. He he was doing a Cincinnati Reds game. They were on they were on air. Yep. He thought that they were off air yep. and he made a very as you probably could figure out what he said, a derogatory anti-gay remark. Correct. When he thought he was off the air and he was on the air. A couple questions about. Well, did you see him then come back and apologize? Was it the same game or was it the next game that he apologized it's, uh, I think it might have been the same game that he apologized but yes it made the rounds I saw the whole it was thing. like a minute minute, and, minute a half. and a half in the middle of the game a guy sitting a home run while he's trying to apologize that's right kind of, yeah. and he, yeah. he still did his job though yeah it, it felt like a guy walking to the guillotine didn't it I don't know if you listened to the whole thing he just he the no, way I, he was I, I, I listened to the whole thing we could be we could even play it if you want to play it I think we should let maybe let people hear it yeah okay yeah the Reds in front of the Royals. We go to the top half of the fifth inning. Castellanos to lead things off. Jim Day's going to be taking us the rest of the way through this game. As Holland takes over on the mound. Um, I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, if I have hurt anyone out there, 
I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. Still and so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Oof. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. Jim Dale, take you the rest of the way home. Okay. Ooh, it's a rough one. <clears throat> yeah. I may not be the right guy to be talking to you about this for a lot of different re reasons. But go ahead. T tell me what, what your view. What, 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 what did you think when you saw the comment? What did you think when you saw the apology? It's, it's rare that when somebody does make a mistake, either on radio or on TV, yeah. that you get to come on and apologize for or say goodbye. Typically, you're taken off the air before you get that opportunity. Especially they're waiting on radio. For you, they're waiting for you at your desk with security people. <laughs> yes, right? they are, yes. as a matter of fact. Yeah. And they give you a little box. They yes. take all your shit with you, would you? Yes. So it, it's, it, was, it was, like I said, it felt like he, he knew he was walking he was walking towards the guillotine, or yeah. he, was, he knows he's done. Right. And so part of me felt like, I felt kind of sad for him, because I don't know if I'll ever put this headset on again, he says. But in 2020, why risk it? What is the purpose of saying something? Are you trying to make somebody laugh? What is the purpose of even risking it? To say what he said when he was off the Oh, air. there's no upside to it. So when you listen to that apology, which is the same day, I just want to ask you, do you feel like he's apologizing for what he said, or is he apologizing is he is he upset and sad that he got caught that it actually was on the air i don't i don't want to pile on but i feel more towards the latter okay if i and if, what do you think should happen to him what do you think should happen to tom brenneman if you were his boss what would you do if you were the uh the club you're the cincinnati reds he's probably an employee of the cincinnati reds yeah. like his dad was or you're the uh the sports station that carries the games what would you do what would you do here is my issue, is that clearly there's uh, an environment where he thinks it's okay to speak like that off the air. We don't think that's his first time he's ever done that, right? Right. He felt it was okay. Right. So there's people around him that are sort of enabling that, that behavior, I feel like. Right. So I would ha I'm going to have to part ways with him. It's 2020. There's no bringing him back on the okay. air. You now, just can't. Now let me ask you another question. Okay. Is you part ways with him. This is a guy who's been around for a, a hundred years and his dad and whatever. Yeah. A lot, a lot of equity has built up a lot of equity. Are you on Fox, by the way, the guy, the, the Fox network that has him do NFL games mm -hmm. and baseball games on Fox? Are you also getting rid of him? So I'm the Reds you, you, GM. You, you just spoke. You just spoke to the. You just spoke as president of the Reds. Okay. You're done with them. Yeah. Yeah. How about Fox? They're well, done too. Oh, I have a new job now. I'm the Fox guy. Yeah. Okay. Now you're the Fox guy. I think if, if the Reds... Got to get rid of him. Yeah, if the Reds say bye, you, he how has about, to go. How about your, uh, your, now a year from now, you're one of those either Cincinnati, Fox, or some other outlet, and he comes to you and he says, I'd like to 
I'd like to apply for a job. How do you feel about that? Should he never work again? And believe me, I'm not one of those guys that thinks it's a great idea to just fire everyone who makes a mistake. Like, we won't settle till no one's working, right? right. I mean, people right. just get fired all the time. And, it, right. and we have 50 million people on unemployment, by the right. way. That's right. We don't need any more that's right. people not working. So I'm not one of those guys. Right. And that's the age-old question. Look at a stand-up comedian like Louis C.K. or guys who get in trouble. Mm-hmm. He, he then goes and does comedy a year later. People are pissed. Well, what about two? What about what, I when? think I just saw that Louis C.K. opened for somebody recently. That's right. He's, he's so back working a little he's, bit. He's back working. Yeah. So wh- how long do people have to wait in order to work again? I suppose it depends, on your, uh, uh, t- depends upon your transgression. I think it depends upon what you were like before that. We don't know much about Tom Brenneman. If he's got a spotless record and he's helped others and he's been nothing but an upstanding member of the Cincinnati community and, and the broadcasting community for 40 years, does that count for anything? These are questions that, again, as you know, you probably could anticipate that I was going to say this. You know, what he said was so hurtful, was so hurtful. It's what gay people have been living with their entire lives. It's the reason that people with that sexuality have trouble coming forward and living their life in open ways because of people who feel the way he said, the way he spoke. It's what sets us back. It was a flagrantly terrible, terrible, terrible and offensive thing to say to those of us who are not gay and those of us that are gay, right? How do you, how do you decide? How do you decide? I keep coming back to... Is is that it now? He's officially never allowed to work again? That's a pretty harsh penalty, but maybe that's the appropriate penalty. Yeah. Okay? I I know about being someone who fell in public and did something terrible and and have suffered the consequences since. I know that. I know the feeling. I know the situation I think he's about to be in. And... I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. When is when can it, when is somebody allowed to to earn a living again? How yeah. long do we have to wait? But I just keep coming back to the fact that he felt very comfortable saying that. You know, you've been on a TV set. You've you've done TV. How I many have. people are have you in their in their head? You know, in, on on headsets. There's four, five, six more for more. this for five. I mean, yeah. yeah, it could be yeah. ten. He yeah. clearly felt like that was okay, which is amazing to me. Right, exactly. That's the part I, I can't get which over. Is amazing to he, me. You know, I he's not the first guy to say something off the air that he shouldn't. We've all right. done it in radio. Right. right. Uh, the fabulous sports babe. I don't. She used to take a call. <laughs> she would yell f u f u f u, then dump herself. Right. You know. So she so nobody heard her on the air, but the guy did. I I one time sat by Dave Niehaus, who Dave Niehaus we all love, right? Yeah, and, of course. And it was Gas and I, or Graz and I. That, I don't know Dave well enough to get in the press box on my own, but we were watching him and. I think it was Dennis Martinez, the pitcher, and another yeah. another old like Belgian. It was a couple of old crappy pitchers, yeah. and one of them just got shelled. And Dave's on the air, and he hits his cough button and says, "You ever seen two pitchers more effing done in your life?" <laughs> the three-two on the way, <laughs> you know, right after you. He was yeah. like jazz musician with yeah. that cough button. Yeah. So he, Tom Brennan is not the first person to do that to say something he shouldn't. You know, go back and forth. I'm not saying Dave. But the fact that, that but. he was, but you're saying the fact that he was okay saying what he said. That's the part. That, yeah. A lot of people on Hard headsets. to understand. Yeah. Hard to understand. In 2020, there's no second chances. And you know, I guess it, that's a, a, a decent segue to my other stuff topic, which is, did you see, we talked about Luka Doncic at the beginning. I went off on Luka Doncic, how great of a player is. Did you see what happened between him and a member of the Clippers a couple of nights ago, Montrez Harrell and what happened? No. Did you see that? So they got tangled up. Okay. And Harrell went down. And they got up and they started screaming at each other and they had to be separated. 
And Harold is seen, if you watch him really closely, he calls uh, Luka Doncic a bitch-ass white boy. Oh, okay. You can actually read or hear him say that to him. He screams it at him when he gets up off, off the floor after they got tangled up. Uh, okay. A bitch-ass white boy. And Jay Williams, do you remember Jay Williams, the Duke guard? Sure, yeah, yeah. Really great college basketball yeah, yeah. player. I think he got into an accident or got, got hurt and he didn't have much of an NBA career and he's on ESPN. I think he's still on ESPN, right? Yep. Does their college basketball. Here's what he wrote. Here's what he said the day after that happened. He said, I am no lip reader, but damn, Trez, damn, Montrez. I can only imagine if Luka Doncic had said something like that to you and it got caught on tape. I can only imagine during Black Lives Matter how much of a big deal that would have been considering today's climate and state. It would have been a massive story and Luka would have lost all credibility in this space, everybody would have been commenting on it. People would have asked LeBron. People would have asked Kawhi. Everyone would have had some kind of statement about it if the other way around it. But it's not that big of a story here because Trez said it to a Caucasian person. It should be a big story because that's not acceptable. So I applaud Jay Williams yeah. because this is the kind of stuff that needs to come to the forefront and in the limelight also. Needs to be discussed. It's a part of the overall problem, and it's not okay. It's not okay for those that are typically the ones being persecuted to turn around. It doesn't make it okay okay, to do it the other way around. Yeah. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's if we truly want equality, then I think we have to eliminate it on both sides. Absolutely. Not just one side, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a tough one. Anyway, Mar- Mario Figueretti. You big Mario Figueretti fan? How are you making the segue here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm just going to blurt out a name you've never heard of before. I don't know who you're talking about. He recorded his four-year-old boy, Rocco, oh. hitting a hole-in-one on a par three oh. course in Wheeling, West Virginia. Yes. Four years old. Marco. Now, now I, I, I don't want to crap on the kid's shot, but it was, a, it was downhill. And he hit it. It didn't even hit the green. It just rolled. It was really steep downhill. It rolled. And oh, he, stop it, would you please? And it, but it, it went in the hole. It went right in the hole. The dad had the has the whole thing on video. Nice. This kid turns. He's not sure if it went in. He just hears clink, clink. He looks around. He turns to his dad. He's like, I'm not sure. His dad's like, I think it's in. The kid takes off on a full sprint. Yes. Like, I, I got to go see. Now we're talking. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great video. If any, we could put it on the Facebook page, maybe. It's, it, it's really cute. There's actually another video that's making the ways out there of a woman who got to a par three and decided to hit a putter off the tee. Did you see that? I th- did you post that? Yes. Yeah, I saw she that. She hit a putter off the tee, and it went in. Okay. It rolled all the way, like 112 yards, 112-yard putt, rolled down onto the green and into the <laughs> hole for a hole-in-one with a putter. Our friend in Arizona is going to— That was at Bandon Dunes, I think. He's going to start a craze. The, the, the putter guy in Arizona that we interviewed? Yeah. He's starting a craze with this putter <laughs> thing here. Didn't you, didn't you also post a video of you golfing at Chambers Bay, I want to say? No, I, 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 don't put, I don't post videos of me golfing, but I, did, I was at Chambers Bay. Yeah, okay. Yes. I thought I saw something yes, on Twitter. Yes, it was my first— First time at Chambers Bay in four years. Now, Cham- I'm not a huge golf fan, but I remember there was a no. big <laughs> there was a, a big event. The U.S. Open was at Chambers Bay, 2015. Oh, was it that long ago? 2015. Jordan Spieth, when he was good, 
Jordan Spieth <laughs> uh, won the U.S. Open. <laughs> Dustin Johnson should have had an 18-hole playoff with him the next day. He three-putted on the 72nd, the last hole, from like 15 feet. All he had to do was two-putt. Oh. They would have gone into an 18-hole playoff at Chambers Bay on Monday, which I was thrilled to go to, even though it never happened. Yeah. It's uh, no, I remember there was a lots of controversy. Oh, I felt like people were kind of being babies, but yeah. I don't know the course well enough. There's yeah. a lot of bitching so there was and moaning. A lot of bitching and moaning. Yeah. It was very controversial. Many of the players did not like the place for various reasons. The biggest part of the controversy were the greens. The greens were like burned out, awful greens with not a lot of grass on them. How is that possible? It were, they were not good. You they could- were. They were fescue. I don't know that you want to know. You want to. You want a, a little lesson on on. Uh, on grass. Yeah, yeah. They were fescue greens that didn't do well during the summertime at that particular point. It was a little hotter than normal leading up to the tournament, and it was just a disaster. The greens were disaster. You couldn't make a putt. The balls were jumping up. You know, these guys are pampered. They're used to playing on very soft and smooth greens. I don't blame it them. Is the U.S. Open, right? right? You know, you're having this tournament. Right. What are you guys doing? And so that was 2015. And everybody said they'll never see another U.S. Open or big championship again unless they do something to address the greens. And 20 months ago, so I played it for the last time in 2016, a year after the U.S. Open. The summer after the U.S. Open, one year later, I played it. Okay. And then I haven't played it since. It's 2020. And 20 months ago, they redid all of the greens, probably in an attempt to get major championship golf back. And... Not that you care. They went to something called POA. Okay. POA grass. And this was the first time that I had played since they changed the greens. And the differences are unbelievable. The difference is unbelievable. Really? It was really a great experience being out there again. Oh, great. It's already a beautiful... Have you ever been down there? I mean, you go to Tacoma all the time. But have you ever been to Chambers? I haven't, no. It's such a beautiful place. Is there a restaurant? We should go maybe if there's a restaurant there. Take well, it. you got to sit out. I want to sit outside. Yeah, there's a little restaurant there. <laughs> okay, good, good. You can overlook. But it's just such a beautiful place. It's unlike anything around. It's a great municipal golf you course. You see the water. Of course, yeah. you're on the water. What's on the, the bay train, the train, <laughs> The train going by the one tree. It's just a, it's cool. a lovely place place and I, I felt so bad over what happened five years yeah. ago and it's great that they went and they changed the greens now there were other issues with that golf course that may make it impossible for them to come back with another u.s open there's some rumors that maybe the pga which is a different outfit than they have a, a major championship the pga championship might come back come here in the 2030 or 2032 when we're all 90 90 yeah, years right. old can't wait but uh i hope they get something back if that's what they want but it was a, a great day this past week great. it was great to be back the greens are fabulous good and i hope that somebody's noticing in a in an official capacity with the usga you reminded me of something. Tell me you remember in the 80s, maybe even in the 90s, the guy yeah. in the NFL called the Grass Doctor. There was a guy. The there grass was, Doctor? There was like one guy in the NFL who they would call in to fix fields for, like before turf was big. He was known for making fields. Um, you don't remember that guy? Football fields are we talking? NFL. He was, yeah, I do actually now. That's like, all he did. Like <laughs> he was a specialist. Because you remember... The, the yeah. fields by, you know, February, or January, they were crappy and dirty. Oh, yeah. They'd call this guy. I can't remember his name. Now in the, it's in the day and age where football fields were shared with baseball fields. Right. They, they got they yeah. got destroyed. Yeah. So they, they would they would call this guy up. I'm, I'm sorry. I okay. have to, I have to find his name. I'm surprised. The turf, the turf doctor. Yeah. Something like grass, uh, yeah, grass doctor, turf doctor. I don't know. Uh, 
Anyway, I doesn't can't matter. Find somebody, one of our somebody, listeners, somebody will, will send me an email from they, they Tucson, will, Arizona. <laughs> that's right. Say, shut yeah. up already about grass. Enough already. <laughs> okay, is, my, is it my turn? Your turn? You ask me. So you go. You go again. I don't have much more. We're in the grip of a pandemic. There's a tropical storm swirling all over the country. People are beating the crap out of each other every day. And now, an asteroid may hit the U.S. hours before the what? presidential election. Really? <laughs> Did you see this story? No. NASA broke the news. An asteroid is on a trajectory to hit the United States of America on November 2nd, 2020, the day before the election. <laughs> right? I mean, of course. The good news is it's six Wait. and a half feet in diameter. Oh. So it's not, you know. Do we want to go and see it or you, want, you don't want to be around when it? What happens when an asteroid hits America? Well, it depends on how big it is. Yeah. If it's six and a half feet in diameter, what happens? Um, I don't think it's going to do catastrophic damage. Now, if it's the size of Texas and it comes in. But is it something that we all would gather around to see? Like ET coming in, or or do we do we run for the hills because it's going to cause an explosion wherever it hits, and you don't want to be anywhere near it? How well, does it work? I think if it's going to hit shot. you, hiding's not going to. Guest coming up on Mitch Unfiltered. What happens when a an asteroid? Is it one of the asteroids that I used to shoot yeah, on the game? Yeah, we're going we're to hire you to get in a spaceship. But and they go would shoot break it. apart, and then they become little particles, and it would be not good. Got to keep shooting them. No, it <laughs> never ends. There's a one percent chance it'll hit somewhere Clockwise. in the country, but <laughs> counterclockwise. <laughs> it's hyperspace. Hyperspace. <laughs> So they, they say there's three possible points of impact, but they weren't specific. So Seattle, one of them? We got that going for us. They said, uh, it's going to hit in one of three spots. Eh, we're not going to tell Do you. We, Good oh, luck. are not going to tell us. Nah, they, they didn't tell us. So All right. there you go. That's 2020 in a nutshell. All right. I've got one last one. Okay. Does everybody know who Diana Taurasi is? Uh, I mean. What percentage of the audience knows Diana Taurasi? I would think more than half. Yeah, because Storm fans, you know. Yeah. People watch Diana Taurasi was one of the great college basketball, women basketball players of all time. And at UConn, I got to believe she won three or four national championships and gold medals. Gold and, medals. Oh, yeah. And she's, she's been in the WNBA for legend. years. She's a yeah. legendary basketball player. Yeah. I've always been a little scared of her. Is that okay? <laughs> really? <laughs> like like physically, like wouldn't want to guard her yeah, or fight her? Like, or... like I just, she seems... She seems like she's takes no shit from anybody. Well, she doesn't. I mean, I've watched a lot of WNBA. And well, you have more because you have a female basketball player in your midst. That's right. I've seen right? her in person, and she talks crap. And yeah, she's she just tough. looks like she'll beat the living <laughs> shit out of you. If I'm not mistaken, she might be from New York and like grew up Is on she, the play. She's tough, like I from think the Bronx. So. Yeah. Well, as I was getting ready for this episode, Dante Soden, Thank episode you. 105, um, I saw where she was unhappy with an official's decision in a WNBA game. And, you know, they're playing these games in a bubble, so there's no fans. And so you can hear a lot of what the players are chatting about. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. So there's a lot of, if you watch them on TV, there's a lot of blanks. Like the TV will go, the audio will go dead because they, they have to clip it out. Yeah. Some of the profanities that are said, not just WNBA, NBA too. I've heard announcers literally talking she got over teed up. people. She yeah. got teed up, I think, on the day that we're recording, Sunday or Saturday, and... Uh, do you have that audio? Can you just play the audio of what she said to the official? No, I'll see the audio later. You tell me. Now, but can people understand? That? I don't know if that's going to come across I'll, on the podcast. I'll hit it one more time here. No, I'll see the audio later. You tell me. That was. I'll see you in the lotter- lobby later, and you can tell me. <laughs> Threatening an official. The official called a technical and said, here's what happened. And she looked at the official. She pointed her finger at the official and said, I'll see you in the lobby later and you'll tell me what happened. That's right. And I immediately remembered how scared I am of that woman I am. Yeah, she'll kick your ass. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she'll kick your ass. <laughs> anyway, we, I saved that for the other stuff. So. There's a great story of her and Sue Bird going over to Russia. 
in the offseason to play for yeah. this really rich guy. I want her on my team. Well, her and I don't want to play against... Well, th- this guy, he just cherry-picked the two best players in the WNBA. Yeah. It was yeah. Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird. Yeah. They end up going over there playing for him. He gets murdered because he's into some weird what? stuff. It's the craziest story ever. we got to get someone on to talk about it. What? Maybe. Yeah, the guy gets murdered. But he... But, he but, they, they played on his team? On his team, yeah. He, like the team he owned? Yes. Like he, a women's team that he owned? It was so important for him to win this championship that he went and got Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird. He wins it. It, it worked. And then he gets of killed. Of course, he got Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi in the Russian League. They destroyed everybody. And they tell stories about him giving them credit cards. Go shop. Go do whatever you want. They oh loved it. God. They were treated like like queens over there. Yeah. And then he's murdered because he's into Oy. some weird stuff. Oy, so Diana Taurasi's been around and Sue Bird, you know, they crazy. All right. All right. I got uh, one quick rest in peace. I, that, think, I think we're done. Aren't we done? Oh, you want to be done? <laughs> well, quick rest in peace. This won't do anything for you. You remember the band Quiet Riot? By name, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Well, Drummer Frankie Banali died Thursday. Okay, Frankie. And he, he wasn't the original, but he was there on the Metal Health right, album that, one, that went to number one in 1983. Okay. So rest in peace to Frankie Banali or Banali. I should probably know how to say it correctly. All right, I got okay, one more. Okay, that's it? That's it? Here we go. Are we, are we done? Rest in peace, Frankie, we get, 68. Sh- sh- are we done? <clears throat> or do you, oh. There's a condition out there known as auto brewery hold on, syndrome. Hold, hold on one second. Frank <laughs> in Tucson. Paging Frank yeah, in yeah. Tucson. Please hit stop right now. Yeah, it's not going to get any better from here. It's all downhill from here, Frank. <laughs> Just hit stop now. Go ahead. It's a condition known as auto brewery syndrome, ABS, not to be no. confused with IBS. No. If you have it, your gut fungi and bacteria start fermenting. So it starts fermenting the contents of your intestines, producing alcohol and spontaneously getting you drunk. Mm. It's a real thing. So it kind of sounds awesome, but you could be driving down the street. Next thing you know, you just feel drunk. So it's kind of scary too. Would you, well, would you test drunk if you were pulled over? Is that an appropriate question for where you're headed? He went to the doctor to figure this out. The doctors had heard of this and they diagnosed it. And they he said, doesn't drink, but he gets drunk on his own fungi. Right. It just it ferments yeah. what's ever in your intestines. And the yeah. doctors, they agreed with them. They didn't think he was nuts or anything. And they, they gave him some kind of pill that didn't really work. And he eventually got pulled over for a DUI. Of course he did. Right. And the cop's like, yeah, fun guy. Sure, buddy. Get in the back of the car. All right. We've heard right. this before. All right. So the solution to this problem, a microbiota transplant. You know what that is? No. It's a fancy way of saying we will put someone's poop inside of you. <laughs> Someone else's poop goes inside of you to fix this problem. Now, despite how it sounds, the poop transplant is an effective cure against some diseases and conditions. What it does is it introduces healthy gut bacteria into a patient, which should help balance their own intestinal microbiome. Okay? You with me so far? Yes. Okay. Uh, The procedure is not necessarily done through the butt either. You can get the poop inserted through your mouth or your nose, too, if you'd like. When does it end? To to ensure maximum (laughs) compatibility, the poop sampled to be transplanted was provided by the guy's 22 year old daughter and the transplant was a complete success no symptoms for three years and he can even enjoy a beer now the doctor says okay there you go happy ending okay all right that's a, is that uh episode dante soden right imagine being the one who has oh. to perform the transplant you think your job is shitty <laughs> oh god now this isn't anything new twitter users have been ingesting other people's crap for over 10 years right uh-huh Receiving poop from your daughter. I mean, it's crazy the lengths parents will go to to just bond with their damn kids. Mitch Levy was once quoted uh, as saying, uh, Poop inserted into the mouth. I'll take that all day over mushrooms. <laughs> and that's it. I hope Frank didn't sit through that nonsense. Oh, gosh. 
There you go. I think it was a great show until the end. <laughs> I think he realizes how irritating he is. <laughs> oh, I know that. And I'd like to apologize to Frank <laughs> and say to uh, Dante, rest in peace. Thank you very much. And uh, that is episode 105. Like it or not, it is in. <laughs> it's in the poops. <laughs>